Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Mex Flentayo. It is I, the true outlaw of comics, standard bearer for all future generations, Ramon Villalobos. And as always, with me, Daniel Izakini. Uh They're calling you Toxic Danielinity. Toxic Danielinity, I saw it. I, I, I want to accept it as like a brand right now. <laughs> this is, this is who I am. I mean, like, you're just begging to get canceled. I'm not like I. You cancel, it is already. I I ha- I'd have to be in something to get canceled, you know. <laughs> All right, well that's fair. So, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to just get right to it because we're in. We're going to talk about manga today. This is the first time, Daniel. You're a big manga guy. I kind of held my nose up at it for a long time. No, you you'd be you've taken like a good two weeks or or maybe the majority of your time on twitter just shit on like the weebs yeah i've been going hard at the weebs and it's ironic because i know that this was coming mm. <laughs> it's especially ironic the day when i really hard shit on the weebs i got like two mangas in the mail and i was like i can't even talk about this <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying you're a, you're a bit of a closet weeb no Definitely not. I mean, I, I've, I let people know my influences. I'm not ashamed of anything. I said I used to turn my nose up at mm. Weebs, especially. I used to be me at the Barnes & Noble, stepping over the, the idiots on the ground, reading comics I, you know, I don't even know the names of, thinking like, these people are lesser than me. They're not real. They're not, this stuff isn't real. Then I realized how wrong I was. I mean, usually <laughs> the, those kids at the Barnes and Noble, or in my case, it was the Borders, they weren't even reading the manga. They were just making out. Those kids are, those kids are legendary. I feel, I'm so jealous of what they had. Like two, two kids in like cat ears making out. <laughs> uh, but what happened was I reached out to our guest this week way before we started the show saying like i'm thinking about starting a podcast if you ever want to be a guest let me know it would be so exciting to have you on because i was a real big fan of her writing from the blog days and i remember back in the blog days there was like a handful of articles that just like always stuck out as like really good and then she you know sort of had the great takes on twitter that i always like get hyped for you know i love comics drama everybody knows that about (laughs) me and i asked you know i reached out uh, now that you know she is a guest on the show, and I said, "What would you like to talk about?" Sometimes the guest is like, "I don't really care," but in this case, she was like, "All I'm reading is manga right now," and I was like, "Well, what's what's good then?" And she said, "I think you'd like Chainsaw Man." So that this week we're reviewing Chainsaw Man with Sarah Horax. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I um, yeah, it was very much pretty much all I read now is manga. I think. Uh, 2020 for me was embracing well embracing is a strong word but um getting closer to my inner weeb <laughs> so it's just been like <laughs> a lot of anime and manga just uh i think quarantine <laughs> sheds away uh, all the shame that one would usually have <laughs> because I, I i i've been in a similar journey i feel like i've watched way more anime as like as as quarantine has gone on than I than I usually did, so I'm I'm taking up this like weeb mantle as well. I've been in a sort of a Gundam Renaissance. Ah, been there. <laughs> I've gotten that T-shirt. <laughs> Sarah, I got a question though, because so but your art is like real heavily referencing manga and and like anime and stuff. You just barely got into like being a weeb recently, but like how did that work? Well, I mean, I, let's see, probably 
manga stuff I got into uh, later than American and European comics. Um, but I, I was definitely like watched anime, like it was, it was very like formative for me. So like Evangelion and like Ghost in the Shell and like that nineties, late eighties kind of hardcore anime stuff that like manga Golden entertainment era. was put out. Yeah, yeah. Like that stuff was very like formative for me and like the type of comic stories that I am interested in making are kind of always sort of in that vein, I think. I mean, so it was like kind of always around, but you're just saying like in the last year you got like way, way into it. Yeah. It started reflecting more in your art. Some of my earlier comics are more sort of uh, more, you can see more of like uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and like Mm. um, Guido Kripax and um, kind of the 80s, like British, like Brendan McCarthy, people like that. My stuff was kind of, leaned more in that direction and then with uh when i did goro um i was interested in trying it like in a style similar to um kyoko kazaki um Mm -hmm. who's a mangaka that i really like i did like a kind of redraw of um one of her comics as part of like a critical essay in um in the island anthology that image put out Mm. And um, when I was doing that, I was like, oh, I, this I can this kind of looks good in my style. I'd be kind of interested to do like a whole comic in this way. And um, I think that's kind of that ended up kind of like bending my style most heavily into the sort of manga direction. And just now because of that being so much of what I'm reading now, I think it's just kind of like tilting more and more in that direction. Yeah, that makes sense. It's such I know, a natural... Like, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the manga, the format of manga is very natural to read and consume. It feels a lot more effortless than uh, American comics, sadly. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Like, you know, just from the thing we were reading today, but also just like in every time that I've read manga, yeah. it always feels much more like less of a labor, especially if you're used to reading like anything kind of European where it feels very just like, oh, I have to read like a fucking book, you know, <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate reading books. Yeah, those giant pages <laughs> with 20 panels. It's like the opposite of a Chris Claremont, Chris Claremont comic, which is why like those like X- 90s X-Men stuff with Jim Lee that he did is so sick to me, like the art. But I can never get into the writing. I just have to like gloss it over and just be like, all right, I, I get the general idea of what's happening here. But I can't read that shit. See, I was um, I, I was telling you um, a little bit about this, Ramon, but I was um, reading that uh, Jim Lee XXL book that they put out of like his X-Men comics at like this the super IDW huge one? size. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the one that's like huge. Artist like, editions. Yeah. Well, it's not the artist edition that it's, just came out like two days ago. It was the one before that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I mean, it's like um, I think they the I think the Kirby like King Kirby things are those, yeah. those size. Um, so it's like a really crazy format to read a comic in. Um, but when I was reading that, I actually kind of was getting into the sort of wordiness of um, Claremont and hmm. stuff, and I thought there's some. Um, not uh, Aorta, but um, some of the stuff I've haven't really published, but have been working on behind that. I've been kind of playing with like 
that kind of wordiness because I liked the actually kind of dug that having to stay on a page for that long sometimes and once you it's kind of rough to like start but once you kind of get the rhythm of like Claremont or someone like that like it yeah really kind of has its own thing or just even like you know Alan Moore who I've read a lot of the American stuff that he did in like you know some of the random like English things too, but like most of it is always like, all right, you have to read this thing. Like for real, you can't like you're you're parked for a good five minutes (laughs) on a page. You spend longer on the page than, you know, like the manga stuff, which is crazy to me sometimes, especially reading it where the manga art is so crazy that like, just, I know the way a mind works when a reader is just like flipping through pages to get to the next part. Like when you have a lot of words, it slows the reader down. And then when you don't have that many words, you're allowed to go faster. So like, you know, it, it it's a it's always funny to me, like looking at that, you know, kind of British style, that American 80s style, and the art looks like shit. And I'm just like, well, what am I supposed to do with this then? <laughs> I think with a lot of those like heavily written comics, the 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 Alan Moore books, like I'm 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 sure he collaborated with many good artists, but the the art like I have friends who read comics who don't even know that the art is there. Yeah, no, totally. Like there's that I think part of that is what made it such a writers driven medium which is like you know, you I mean we've talked about it before. You could sell more books off the name of a writer than an artist cuz an artist can only do one book and, and manga is very like, much the opposite. Yeah. Right. On that you kind of want more authorship yeah. in it. You need you need an a uh, uh, dynamic interesting imposing artist to to create the look of a book like um one of the more more recent examples that i've been fascinated with has been like doro hedoro mm-hmm. that's a very good book like at, <laughs> i never heard of it um if you want to like google up a tab or something like the nah, I'm good. what i'm and, and this i guess ties into chainsaw man as well is that the kind of styles that you get in modern manga has opened up due to this like complete diving into the digital medium and mm-hmm. uh, chainsaw man has a has a very unique visual style as well it's almost like not amateurish like uh, that's that's not the word i'm looking for but it's very free with its lines like it makes sense that <laughs> that in a genre or in a medium like manga or in a re- region like Japan, the the artist would have to dominate because that's that's what stands out in this the the way that these stories are written. Yeah, the um the interesting thing with the art with Chainsaw Man is the comic he made before this um, Fire Punch is uh, the art is a lot more kind of kind of stiff it's like watching kind of like action figures it's kind of like early like jojo um jojo's like manga art or like fist of the north star Mm -hmm. and so this uh so chainsaw man is kind of your departure in terms of starts getting starts loosening up and it's also interesting because i think as the series progresses the art gets better and better yeah um so by the by the later chapters it's his uh lines are sort of much more assured and the characters aren't as so i think early on the characters are at times kind of more wooden mm-hmm. mm. Um, but in the later chapters, they get they start getting more and more dynamic, and it starts becoming like very. I mean, there's stuff that looks really cool in the opening books, but towards the last half of the of it, of Chainsaw Man is just like 
he's definitely like leveled up to another level and everything. Yeah, I think it's I haven't I haven't read too much of like what comes after the first volume, so I can't really speak to that. But I did look at some of the older comics because it was that one, and I think I had read that he had like won an award when he was really young. He was he's, he was kind of like a prodigy, right? Mm. And so I was looking at the art in that, and I think you're right. It is a lot more like he's trying to do like more realism, and yeah. in this. It reminds me of, um, have you ever read, what is it called? Fuck, I have it on my shelf, but it's covered. I can't see. Oh, Last Man. Mm. Um, that, that's the French book. Is that book? the French book? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Bastion Vives. Yeah. He's like real similar where he knew how to draw. He learned how to draw really well. And then once he like kind of figured that out, he was like, all right, now I just want to pare it down, get real simple and get really, really loose. And that book is made with like two other people. They They wanted to like make a manga, but it's like. Uh, I mean, it's really good. If you haven't read it, I would check it out. Um, I've got but it's... one of his. I've got some of his other like work. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I have. I have a taste of chlorine, and I really love that one. Have you ever read that one? Um, I've seen it, but haven't read it. I have some. I don't remember what it's called. It's some like Italian like romance thing or something. Um, it's done in a lot. It's a much like kind of looser style than um, some of the other stuff. They're all. All of his stuff is kind of like that. But what I love is, like, it's so stripped down, but sometimes you can really see, like, oh, this guy can draw like a motherfucker, because if you couldn't, you can't do it. So sometimes, like, stuff that's really loose is, like, deceptively looks really easy. Like, I feel like Jaime Hernandez is the same way. That dude can draw like a motherfucker, but it's deceptively looks really easy because it's so complex. We'll look at something like um, Rumiko Takahashi, like, her work Mm -hmm. with, like, Ranma and all that stuff, like, those character like movements on the page and stuff are not not e- it's not easy to have that kind of like cartoony like weight and dynamism that's something i've been trying to like get into my art but it's it's very difficult where you know yeah. what i'm talking about like where the character like has kind of a almost a bounce to them yeah well my favorite like american comic artist that has that is my buddy nick dragata i think because mm. i mean he's really influenced by like all kinds of stuff and his whole thing since I've known him is he just wants to get looser and looser and looser. But every time he does new art, like it's incredible and it doesn't look like it's getting looser, but in his head, I think he's like figuring that out. It's really sick to see. I saw that crazy thing he posted for the Batman black and white thing. Oh, that shit's super red. <laughs> that was nuts. Yeah. He, I mean, that whole thing is nuts too. Cause he's, he's traditionally or like, you know, sorry, normally a digital artist, like all of East of West is done digitally. And then for that, he was like, I'm going to do it on paper. It'll be like old school. He kept like, he kept giving me shit about it. And uh, he did it all with screen tones, like did it all like for real. And it looks insane. Hmm. Like it's so crazy looking. Would it be appropriate to describe uh, th- those pages as like having a manga vibe? I Because that I was getting a big manga vibe from them. So like the reason why I started reading manga when I got into it was I roomed with my buddy, James Heron, who ha- has a book coming out <laughs> called ultra mega who like, it's incredible. Also it's like he's, that he's and James, one of, one of the he, contenders for goat that him and Nick's work just coming out right at the same time is like, got me going crazy. Cause I'm just like, these dudes are the fucking truth, you know, mm-hmm. but him, uh, I, I room with him and I'm just like in awe of him. Right. Like he's so sick. When I it was great because when I first met him, like it was my first time where I left Stockton to go to a con. Sorry, left California. I've been to like Sacramento, San Jose. First time I left California, and I was rooming with James Heron, who's like 
a fucking legend in my mind. And I walk into the room and he's standing there just like shirtless. And this dude is like well put together. He's like jacked. And I'm just like, what's happening right now? He's a legend. That's, what ha- that's what's happening. And he was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, it's it's fine. Like, you know what I've heard? And, you know, but uh, we were sitting there and I was like, oh, what do you read? You know, I just want to like pick his brain without coming off too much like a fan. And he was just like, oh, um, all I read is manga. That's it. And at this time, I had read, like, no manga. I had read, like, on Akira trade. <laughs> like, that, to, to the extent that I liked manga, it was just, like, I liked the idea of manga at that point, I guess. But even then, like, I was strictly American comics, strictly European comics. And, like, at that time, all, like, kind of fanographics drawn in quarterly, like, you know, Adrian Tomine, like, that. Oh, that's where your, I was this at. This was your, like, uh, snobby indie phase. <laughs> well, I don't know about snobby, but yeah, that was definitely that era. And he was like, "All I read is manga. I've read. That's it." And he was like showing me like what he had with him, and it was like, "This is so sick." I didn't know that this was what it was like because in my head, do you know the book? Manga. What's that? Do you know the book he showed you? Um, it was the it was the uh, Urasawa one where it was like about was it Pluto? Like Walt Disney, the one with the bat. Oh, oh, Billy the Bat or whatever. I think he was reading Billy the Bat. Mm-hmm. Urasawa was a legend. Yeah, absolutely. So he, so, anyways, he he told me like you know all I read is manga. That's it. So I was like, oh well, I guess like that's all. That's what I have to read now. <laughs> but in my mind, manga was only like when I was at like I said Barnes and Noble. I'm like walking over those kids, and all the art that they were looking at looked like shit. Yes, because it was all like the mid 2000s sort of manga where it just felt very like big eyes, like bad aesthetic in my mind like it all looked like the how to draw manga shit it just looked really like deviant art era it was like it was like naruto and Yu-Gi-Oh. like but i mean there was a there was, was like a I, I will defend naruto and Yu-Gi-Oh, but 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 there was there was like a cottage industry of there was the top books but there was also like a thousand other books that kind of looked like them and were kind of just generic in comparison like uh I, I i can see your uh, why you would have a sort of like a lower opinion of some of the stuff it was like anime wall scroll like shit yeah, right like, that's what my mind yeah that's anime that's manga and then he was like you know this guy's a genius i'm looking at his art i'm like okay something like he i must be completely wrong <laughs> and like you know i had known nick a little bit and i visited nick's place nick's place like he has a full wall of just like manga shit and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like his whole like back studio was just books of like great manga and stuff. And I was just like, all right, like clearly this must be the way. Maybe there's something I, there. I met like Daniel Warren Johnson and Daniel Warren Johnson wasn't like Daniel Warren Johnson <laughs> yet. He was like good, but he wasn't like that. Right. Yeah. And he was the same way. All he read was manga. And I was like, well, I like all these guys' art. And like they're like a, I felt like, like it was like a fork in the road. <laughs> yeah, and then I became one of those guys for a little bit. <laughs> I think I think like every almost every comic artist that I'm friends with or know um, is almost reads entirely manga. Yeah, well, I still like other books, and like you know, the thing is, when we do this podcast, I'm realizing how much other stuff I like. But after the manga wave, I really got hard into '90s comics. Mm. Like in the last few years, I. I didn't grow up reading comics there. I don't know about you. I how you know, but for me, I didn't grow up reading any of that stuff. 
So it was like, again, like exploring like a new vein of like comics I just didn't know about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we missed. Did you grow up reading comics or? Uh, yeah, like I, I grew up, I used to um, get uh, like Calvin Hobbes and Peanuts and stuff like the collections from the library and like yeah. plow through those. And then eventually I would get, they used to sell like these like Marvel six packs at um, Walmart. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't have a comic shop in my town because it was like too small. Mm. And uh, so I'd get those and those were like, like basically all Liefeld and McFarlane and like that era. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it was all, but it was not like complete stories. Yeah. Uh, so, but so it would almost, it would kind of engage my imagination more that way. So I would get like part of uh, like X4, that part of like that X4 Spider-Man crossover, just mm. like one issue. And then have to like figure out like what happened or I'd got like have like that one issue of um, Spider-Man that has like the where he's with uh, Deathlock and he has like the cyborg thing that um, I think Eric Larson drew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how did Spider-Man become a cyborg? <laughs> he, he's like a like half cyborg, half pirate. It was a really weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. One of the only comics I had for like the longest time was just like an issue of Heroes Reborn that Jim Lee drew. What's amazing <laughs> about that stuff, though, is like it wasn't even the first one. Fantastic Four. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Fantastic Four. Yeah. But it wasn't even like the first one. It was like issue four where it told like Doctor Doom's origin. And I was just like, this is so fucking sick. I remember in the back it had like an ad for Kazar. But what I was going to say is what was so sick about those dudes is all those dudes were basically just like the weebs of yes. that yeah. era. And when I met um, an inker friend of mine who inked Silvestri, Joe Weems, the legend Joe Weems, one of the sickest inkers that I, you know I've ever seen do it in person. He lives out in like this area. But I was at, hanging out with him and I was just like picking his brain just like, so what was it like? What was it like back then? In like the fucking golden era. And he was like, it was cool. I'm like, what'd you guys read? Did you guys just read everything? He goes, all we read was manga. <laughs> all we ripped off was like, you know, well, Ghost in a Shell. <laughs> they, <laughs> think sense. about like Frank Miller. Like, yeah, it was it's obviously like a huge example as well, as far as like ripping off like um, manga and then like uh, European comics. Well, Miller was like their James Heron. Like Miller, yeah. like Miller was like, this is the shit. So then they were all like, oh, yeah, it must be. Because Miller loves it. Like, they all love Miller, you know? I, th- I think it's just because, like, uh, Japan, the Japanese, like, comics market is so much bigger than, like, the, U- the American comics market. So the yeah. variety is so much greater. So you're more likely to find, like, something that kind of jives with you, both in terms of, like, a narrative and in terms of, like, an artistic style. Especially oh, nowadays sure. that mm-hmm. there's, like, so much stuff that's being kind of brought over. Have you ever read a uh, Tatsumi? Um, that sounds familiar. Maybe what is I that? I think it's Yoshihiro Tatsumi. He does uh like the Pushman and um, a Drifting Life. It was like his uh, that's his like autobiography. Uh, yes, I think I think I've read some of his stuff. I can't. They're real like depraved, sad boy stories of just like everyone is just like I'm miserable and alone, and the world is fucking terrible, and like he just finds the most horrendous way to like punish his characters and adrian tomine did like the um translations for it and he like re-lettered everything uh i love those too and like you said like if you're entering manga from like my point of view which is like i got into comics in like 2005 hmm. 2004 like like heavy i like i was going to comic stores and you know going to barnes and noble and shit like that to like find new stuff i think i think i was probably um in terms of like american comics i think that was probably 
2005 to 2000, probably eight or nine, maybe, uh, basically up until, um, what was it? This, it was the, the, not the new 52, but the one with, um, <laughs> like the, the second, like new 52. There's all, I'm laughing because there's always, a there's always like a DC or Marvel event that we can all triangulate <laughs> yeah. our comic book history on. Yeah, the thing is, the problem is it got so fractured. But I know what I think I know what you're talking about. It was not it, in 52. It was um, post Flashpoint. Yeah, it Flash, was Flashpoint. It was the, it was the, yeah, yeah. It was the one where they made Amanda Waller like thin for some reason. They made and, her a babe because why yeah. would yeah? Because they're making re- movies. And for some reason, that was like my point where I was like, "Do I really need to still read these?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, "What if I stop?" And so I stopped and just read uh, manga, and that's and it's pretty much since then I've only like kind of like dipped in and out very randomly if it was like someone that i really liked doing something with superhero comics um i i i tried to give the new 52 a chance and i i think there was there was just this moment where every it felt like every other page was a toy commercial (laughs) a toy ad um, I, I wish there was more toy ads. That's my problem with comics. <laughs> but well, basically, what happened? I, I started. I started feeling like this is this is not advertised to me, and I'm like trying. I'm trying to enjoy it, but uh, it it became very like disjointed experience. Like maybe if like this was around the time like Borders closed, and all we had mm-hmm. was a Borders. So I think while I could follow comic books in trade. I felt like I was a, a sophisticated comics reader. And then once I had to go into the monthly stuff, the floppies, the issues, and I would get all these all these other ads. And I guess that's the way that they want you to support the books, sadly. Like, I'm, I understand comics culture, but I'm much more a, a graphic novel, trade paperback, manga volume type person. Yeah, I can't oh, yeah. stand floppies really. I know I put my comics out in kind of they're kind of large, but and but the they're and it, but it's like um, in terms of stuff that I buy, I pretty much only buy stuff that's in has like a spine to it. I like uh, I mean I like I like all the different ones, you know. I mean I like ash cans, you know. I like whatever, but I like. Trades because yeah, I can abuse I mean, them I'll buy, more. I'll buy. I mean, I'll buy like, um, like indie stuff, like yeah. kind of however it is, like at cons and things. But I mean, in terms of like DC or Marvel stuff, my trades have made it made their way to my bookshelf, and all my floppies are in boxes and bags and stuff stored somewhere that I can't celebrate. Like That's the trades, more organized than me. <laughs> Mine are just like in a like, they're in like a the bottom filling up the bottom part of like a tv entertainment center thing (laughs) it's kind of like stacked on each other i have a habit of just buying like random issues and when i go to a comic shop you know when i would go to comic shops when when i didn't feel like i would get a horrible disease every time i stepped in one but um (laughs) what what i would i would just go and i'll like literally oh i think i know this person i'll just buy a comic and then like so i just have random issues when i I went to my mom's house and she was like, why, like, is this your issue of Catwoman? Because I don't think I have it. <laughs> I just like left an issue of Catwoman there one time and she mm-hmm. just like found it. And I was like, why did I buy this? I'm like, oh, I know the guy who drew this. <laughs> yeah, I was like yeah. real happy about it. But I just have so many just random ass copies of shit. And like, I like it for that. I like being able to dip my toes in. Like, I have two issues of like James Heron things like around me usually. Like, 
a Thor that he did and like a seven for eternity or whatever the fuck that he did. And I just keep, I'll just look at those flip through them. They're totally fucked up. And I love that about it. You know what I mean? Like I hate Mm -hmm. people who are like very precious about it. So all my comics are super fucked up. The more fucked up my comic is, the more I probably like it. Like, all my Frank Quietly comics look like a fucking animal got a hold of them. <laughs> they look insane. Have you ever had to like rebuy a comic just to like have like a copy that was like not for you to tear apart? <laughs> I've bought Pax Americana literally like five times. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've bought that book so many times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's the one that that was the record breaker of like literally how many times can i fucking buy this book like i just go to the shop and i'll see an, a clean copy i'm like oh i buy this <laughs> yeah you keep them you keep them in a in a box like spares yeah because it's because it's like eventually you've got like you know the pages are not even like stuck to the spine anymore and oh yeah no <laughs> it's like all a, it's like a fold the cover is basically just like a folder of paper i have a, a michael turner issue of batman superman the one where like he meets supergirl i have that in pieces on my desk for the longest <laughs> that, that time. That classic Michael Turner Supergirl. I feel like that was everywhere. I was actually, yeah, I was actually a pretty big fan, I think, of that uh, Supergirl run because she was like kind of this, like this uh, angsty Paris Hilton teen thing. Yes. And uh, I exactly. thought that was interesting. Exactly. So that's exactly why I like it because it makes me think of 2003, 2004, low-waisted jeans, everybody <laughs> smells like outside of the Abercrombie and Fitch. Like, it's so sick. It's just clear that this dude loved drawing that shit, and he captured that era better than any artist. Like, I think I'll I, say, I'll say I, like, I love Quietly, like, better than anybody, but Quietly doesn't capture the era of any time that he's in. And Michael Turner was 2003, 4, 5, 6. I think at the time it wasn't uh, as as sort of popular. I don't even know how it's looked at now because it felt like they kind of ended up trying to kind of run away from that depiction and idea of uh, Supergirl like pretty quickly. I mean, now they don't want Supergirl to be sexy. I mean, I get why, you know, because there's like this sort of idea that female empowerment and like sexiness have to be sort of like ideologically like separated and, um, but that's that's a that's a comics thing and right like a marvel movie thing whereas like in sort of wider pop culture that's not necessarily oh yeah yeah well like yeah so dc comics i feel like with the superman stuff batgirl all that stuff is kind of like there they save that for like harley quinn catwoman shit like that but it's like you know i think there's a prudishness around superman and all that shit in general I did see a drawing of they've got a new uh, Huntress comic coming out or someone. And I saw like a drawing that where it looked like she wasn't wearing any pants. So they're <laughs> that's oh, Batman. That is that's Batman Catwoman. The, the... <laughs> that shit's hot. Well, you know what? No, it's not hot. I, I... It's very strange. It's very strange. She didn't even have a cape. She just had because they basically combined uh, Catwoman's costume and Batman's costume, but just gave her like the lower half of Catwoman's costume. And yeah. then the like kind of a little bit of top armor it was like a yeah like a breastplate of batman's armor it's silly no no cape i was like it's silly because it looks exactly like the carrie kelly costume from that golden child thing that rafael yeah yeah, yeah. looks exactly like it uh except for the chest plate and like nobody complained about that because the artist of that wasn't doing it to make it sexy i mean it really is just like it really is like a male gaze thing Mm -hmm. yeah and and grandpa was 
knows how to texture clothing. <laughs> right. I feel like if you understand how to like, you can play into that. And I, I want to talk about that in regards to manga because I feel like that always was off-putting to me when things are trying to be like sexy without it being like, just like, it's too much. Right? <laughs> like this book that we're about to talk about, I feel like it's so awesome because like he'll draw like women's breasts, but it's just, like clothing over it. <laughs> And, like the character just staring at it and it feels very real like it's not like you're staring at a girl's chest and like her cleavage is out and it's like over the top rendering on you know the fucking the cleavage and all the shit it's just like a shirt over <laughs> yeah, over breasts which is the, so the lecherous so aspect sad. is 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 inescapable i i yeah. I, I don't know of many manga or, or comics that don't like uh, dip their toes into this. Maybe like Pluto is the most asexual manga I've ever read. I think it's like a um, uh, I it, there's like a kind of evolution of uh, anime fan, uh, and it applies to manga too, as as far as like how you react to that sort of thing. Yeah, because like initially it's like you're very off put by it, and then at some at some point you're just kind of like it just becomes kind of the desensitized to it. But, yeah, but it still is um, manga and all like anime. Anytime I'm I'm trying to advocate for it, it is sort of like uh, their original sin that's inescapable <laughs> to, to new audiences. I almost admire it in the sense of like it keeps it trashy because like I'm, yeah. when I'm, one of my favorite um, manga from last year was uh, Fire Force. And uh, there's a character in Fire Force who has like a super or like some weird power where she just like ends up in lewd positions or like mm-hmm. her clothes <laughs> falling off and it's and it's done and like the rest of the book isn't really I mean the book has like humor and stuff in it but it's supposed to be kind of more of a straightforward like shonen thing yeah and, I think uh, it's 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 like it's more honest than the sort of like I obviously this is where we're talking about a spectrum. I'm not actually toxic Danielinity. I need to state, <laughs> like, I I wanna uh, say that like this this has a, a, a an an honesty to uh, 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 romance or, or or sexuality that is. I guess prohibited from like superhero books. Yeah, well, you know, I remember I went to a con one time and I saw these little like figures with the Dragon Ball Z things are like really hot and they're like those ultra posable ones, you know. Mm. And there was one of like Bulma that it looks so sick. Like the design of it is so good from Dragon Ball, not like Dragon Ball Z. And um, she's like, <laughs> she's like a child wearing a bathing suit with a cape and like a big helmet. And it looks so sick, like just it's so cute looking. Everything like that would be sick to have, but I could never imagine anyone like looking at it and thinking like, "What's going through this guy's head?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you said, like I haven't crossed the threshold where it's like I don't give a fuck. I also remember like there's a Hot Toys of a uh, Battle Angel Alita, and I love Battle Angel Alita, and I just thought like I could not buy that because if somebody saw that I owned it, they would just assume I was a pervert. Yeah, I, I fortunately I haven't quite gotten to the uh, figure wall scrolls like stage yet <laughs> or uh, body pillow stage. Yeah, uh, but if we have another, uh, if 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 we have another year like uh, 2020, then 
uh, with another like pandemic, then uh, that's probably that's probably the route that I'll end up going. Cause it's if just... the lockdown continues, everyone's going to be so absolutely perverted that there's yeah, they're going to have to like douse people with bleach when they leave their homes. <laughs> well, do you know about? <laughs> oh, sorry. Do you know about like veto uh, VTubers? It's like the big. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh oh, absolutely. I know about VTubers. I'm. I I was so excited. Me and Tamara and Sophie were like we need to get into this VTuber thing. I feel like that's the next wave. <laughs> yeah, it is very much like I, 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 I listened to the other night. I listened to uh shark girl vacuum uh, mm-hmm. and she was like singing while she vacuumed, but is like vacuum ASMR with like a <laughs> animated shark girl. Just for the listener, a VTuber, but a VTuber is somebody who's like doing like a live stream on Twitch or whatever, but they have a digital skin over them. So they look like an anime. Character. Yeah. It's a, it's a 3d rig. Yeah, it's a 3D rig, so it looks insane, but sorry, she was vacuuming? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was like the most like amazing like internet experience I think I've had this year. It was just very strange, but amazing. There was this one, I don't remember her name, but I saw a thing where she had built a rig where like her in-game or her in-stream character is that she's a video game character who's like doing a Twitch stream or whatever, mm-hmm. and somebody asked her like, oh can you show us your apartment? Cause she has like a digital background mm. and she's like, Oh yeah. So she gets up and the video switches to like a third person, not, not a third person, like a, what is it called? Yeah. Third person shooter where it's mm. like behind her back oh, wow. and she's like walking around. She built like a little set That's in like crazy. her free time just so that when somebody asked to show her her apartment, she could like walk around. She's like, Oh, it's so I'm so embarrassed. It's not clean. And like, you know, like that kind of shit. And then like she had rigged it so she could, she could show feet. Uh, but oh she always God. has shoes on. She always has shoes on because she's not sure if Twitch allows nude feet, even if it's animated. Twitch is very prudish. <laughs> Twitch is crazy as hell. Uh, but yeah, no, the VTuber shit is absolutely insane to see that stuff happening. Actually, election night, I was watching. Uh, do you know Hassan Piker? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. He's like a Twitch streamer who talks about like leftist politics shit and. Mm. Um, he had a friend on and his friend had got a VTuber rig of like an anime girl <laughs> who's, uh, she, she was just there to do like the Dave Kornacki shit. <laughs> so she was pointing at maps and stuff. That's actually pretty cool. I would watch that. Oh, it was awesome. And, uh, she, it, and you know, it was like really rough cause it was like his first time trying it out, but it, she was just like writing numbers up of like what Pennsylvania numbers needed to look like. It was oh, it's it's just a matter of time until like CNN has a anime girl doing like a block of like news or something. And at which point Frank Miller Dark Knight Strikes Again yeah. <laughs> will be right. So yeah. to all the people that said that book sucks, fuck you. That book's incredible. That's one of my favorites. Oh, m- me too. Uh you know what's funny is that's like one of my ones that me and uh Tamara Bonbiam my you know frequent collaborator we'll go like just bash heads about this book so i'm like it's genius it's perfect the colors are the best and she's like those colors are fucking terrible <laughs> see to me like the colors are even like they're so far ahead of not only like the time it was made in but even like this time like people still haven't caught up to those crazy colors like it's insane i still agree with you totally yeah i, I wish I-, I could do a book that looks that had the like looked like that like color wise but i haven't quite reached that level yet i feel like lynn varley is a master painter and the way i said like when people get so good at like doing a thing 
Mm. Like, cause if you look at her work on like, you know, 300 is good, but like the daredevil book that they did right before, uh, it's not born again. It's, um, uh, Electra lives, Electra again. lives again. Oh. Thank you. It's so beautifully painted that like, you know, if you look at that, you could see that she's in control of everything. She gets permission to do the crazy stuff. That's her getting super loose, yeah. like loose the way an artist can get loose and make it feel more like vibrant and lively. And, you know, she's working with stuff that is like, it's kind of hard to color Frank Miller, you know? So she's coloring it like the way she thinks it should look. And it looks to me, like you said, ahead of its time. Perfect. And it's like rudiment. She was using like rudimentary, like Photoshop tools as well. I mean, she was breaking Photoshop every yeah. page. <laughs> it was awesome. But uh, let's get into the book we're going to talk about this week, Chainsaw Man by Tatsuki Fujimoto. When did this book come out? I don't know. The trade, uh, the uh, collections just started coming out last uh, fall. From Yeah, this. right. Because like, I read that last October it came to like here. And when I wanted to buy this book because I just thought the art was so sick. Uh, it, um, it began in 2019. Oh, did it's it? It's a very modern, recent book. Yeah, yeah it's like... It truly is like one of the hottest books out right now. <laughs> like yeah. I went to like Barnes and Noble, Amazon. I went to all the book selling places, you know, tried looking for it somewhere locally. Couldn't find like the trade of it. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll buy the, the comiXology one for like six bucks, you know, just cause I wanted to read the shit for the show. And man, it's beautiful. It looks so fucking good. So it starts out with our character, the main character, Denji, who's like a one-eyed orphan living on the edge of town with a pet a chainsaw dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a very cute little like Pokemon character looking guy. And it's a little devil that he's found. And he's just doing the mental math of how much money he can make to pay off a debt that his father left him. Yeah. And he's going through it and he's saying like, you know... For 60,000 yen a month, he can make tree cutting. He can make 1,200,000 yen a month for selling a kidney, 300,000 for selling his right eye, 100,000 for selling his testicle. And he still owes like $38 million. And it was just like, as soon as we opened it up with that one page, I was like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, one of my favorite parts in the early, uh, early book is when he's um, trying to sleep. And I screen capped it again today because every time I read it, it's one of my favorite things. And he says, uh, when I can't sleep, I think about my debt and then it's even harder for me to get to sleep. And I just I, I just love how like they captured the sort of economic anxiety of like being hungry and not having any money. And Yeah, I mean, it's a book where like capitalism is the main enemy of the book, despite mm -hmm. all the other shit. And it's infiltrated his entire life like he can't even sleep without worrying about his dad's debt and like these these things that are chasing him i and uh i don't know about you guys but my reading of it was that the little devils are like representations of capitalism so like he makes this deal with this little chainsaw dog like pokemon thing so that he can basically survive like that way he could like live in this world and it's sort of like the like a literal deal with a devil that you make as a member of society. The the what you're describing kind of reminds me of uh, 
a general trend within uh, a lot of these uh, Japanese stories. I say stories because it's, they start off as manga, they become anime, some are anime. But worlds are very heavily uh, systematized. Mm. Um, like, if it's fantasy, if it's uh, sci-fi, there are rules, there's categorizations of people, and it, it, it's what you're talking about, the devils, the fiends... Um, what type of devils uh, uh, one of these creatures is, how they affect. Like, you you see uh, the world building is, is very in, uh, system-based. And it, you're, you're right in the sense that capitalism is part of this system of the book. Yeah. So uh, Denji, with him with his little pet chainsaw dog, they go out hunting devils. Because if you hunt devils, you can make... 300,000 uh, yen. So it starts out, you see him and he's about to face off against a tomato devil, which is like this big tomato with like a bunch of eyeball cysts and like a sideways mouth vagina and like a bunch of little arms crawling out of like popping out the bottom that are like crawling around. It's such a creepy looking opening visual. It's it's amazing. This is like the designs in this book are so fucking good. I wonder if it's a reference to the Behelit, the the Berserk egg. Mm. I don't know if, if if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Could the, be. It, it, I immediately thought of that when I saw that tomato face. I definitely think his like early style is probably influenced by uh, Kentaro Mura, so I wouldn't be surprised. So uh, Denji kills the tomato and he shows it to his boss. And his boss is just like a sort of low-level mobster. He's like an old man with glasses. And like I feel like in old animes and mangas and stuff, this character is always like the traditional teacher character. Like that's like the visual archetype of this guy. I'm thinking about like, you know, Bajal Angel Alita and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And like Dragon Mm -hmm. Ball. Like I feel like this guy is always somebody who's like, a mentor to the character, but we, we learned that this is actually just like a, like a low level mob boss who his dad owed millions of dollars in debt. So he has made a deal with this guy to basically pay off his debt by killing these devils and then giving him a percentage of the money and all the mobsters. They all think he's just like a useless little piece of shit and they treat him like garbage. One of them pays him like a hundred dollars, a hundred yen to like eat a cigarette and so he does it so that he could like eat for three days. <laughs> yeah, after after he finally gets paid, all of his debts are deducted from that payment. Uh, and he, he it's the, the the trap. The the like it's a very beautiful description of the trap. Uh, that yeah. you can work to death, but every single month they're going to take so much off that it's as if you hadn't earned anything well and it's it's the thing where um because of that he ends up uh falling into sort of criminal groups and then ends up being sort of a you know as we'll get to like a ward of the state yeah well like 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 daniel said it's like a really good way to show that like you earn this paycheck you're putting your life at risk for it and you have nothing to show for it except for at the end of every day, you can kind of like lay down and eat a slice of plain bread and dream of a better life. And it's like 
the dream which is supposed to sustain sustain him but like because he's a boy orphan who's like millions of dollars in debt his dreams are so simple yeah his dream in this is just eating jam and like hugging girls yeah <laughs> i can relate <laughs> <laughs> but you know at least he's got little pochita which is super cute also, like, Pochita is, like, the most, you know, Mexican little dog-sounding name yes, there is. Yes, not even Not even a Puerto Rican dog is called that. that I immediately imagined a Mexican dog. <laughs> yeah. Every, me- every manga that I read where the character is, like, cool, I just imagine that they're Mexican. <laughs> because, like, Trunks, I'm like, that's Mexican. Like, that guy wears workwear clothes. He's got the middle part. He's dyed his hair, like you know, light purple, like that is a Mexican person. His dad is a piece of shit. He's Mexican. It's sort of like how how uh, the black community uh, knows that Piccolo is black. Exactly. I, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's he spends every night dreaming. He says, if dreams come true, I want to hug a girl before I die. And then he thinks back about his father who hung himself because he couldn't make the month's payment and left him alone. And uh, he thinks about when he made this deal and found this little dog chainsaw. And when he found him, he thought he was there to kill him. But the little devil was hurt. And what we learn about devils is that if you feed them blood, they get strong and they can heal their wounds and stuff. The rules. These are the rules (laughs) of the world. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's ready to die. Tells the little chainsaw dog, just kill me. But he instead, he decides... If I feed you, if you bite me, then I'll save you and you'll save me. This is the contract that he makes with this little dog. So they become best friends and they go out, you know, into the world cutting devils up and cutting trees. And it's a beautiful, it's the beginning of a beautiful little friendship between him and this little Pochita. You could almost think that that's like what the whole manga would end up being is just uh, them trying to pay off this debt. Yes. Well, what's what's so funny is like you, this definitely gets subverted. Yeah. What's funny is like it reminds me so much. Like when you just read that part, it reminds you so much of like Pokemon. I, I read the first mm. couple. I read the first like few uh, pages of it just to see the sense of what that world was. But it reminds me of like playing the Game Boy game where like you're a little guy, you get a little little fucking pocket monster instead of professor oak as a father figure you get this dude (laughs) yeah i mean it just feels so much like that you know uh but pokemon to me especially in light of the episode that we did yesterday has kind of become the symbol of capitalism because it became all about how you monetize this like artistic Mm -hmm. thing even more so than like dragon ball z because inherent in pokemon is like collecting you know like it's all about acquiring these these things and you know getting as much of them and building up this like portfolio of pocket monsters and being better than everybody else there's like a competition so it like it, it really did harken back to that like visuals with the little dog you know it, it looks like it looks like a pokemon you know and i don't know if that's just because of american bias of like that's the only context i have for that other than like it sounds Digimon. really shallow but i think you are onto something here yeah, I'd like I don't know if it's too shallow because I know that in Japan there's probably like tons of things like this. Yeah. But from my standpoint, it's like that Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh, which didn't really have like a cute thing. And all those things were just about kind of like uh like boldface capitalism. Just yeah, like boys buy going this. on journeys, like going into like extreme danger with their <laughs> like 
happy mascots. And it's like, it's it's kind of like a libertarian philosophy of just like, mm-hmm. go out with nothing, build till you're like this all-powerful being. Live and in then the woods. You, you will be a master, you know? This is like, no, actually that would suck. <laughs> Exactly, it would exactly. suck to be alone in the world with just you and your cute little pet. And actual Pokemon battles would be like gruesome and nasty and would involve just a dead like a dead other Pokemon. Like <laughs> Devil Hunter sounds like 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 Pokemon Master or like it it has a it has a lot uh in common in this in this first uh thing that they present before the the flip. Yeah, and it, it when he makes this deal with it, it kind of like to me it shows like there's this symbiotic relationship between the boy and like if this if this little devil represents capitalism, like this symbiotic relationship of like I said to exist in society, you have to make this deal and you have to like sort of buy in to it. Otherwise, you know, what's what's the point? Like like how do you survive in the world? Which reminds me we have a Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash Mex Flintalo. <laughs> yes. We, yes. we want to want to plug that. And, you know, we want to say thank you to the 69ers. We dropped a hot new episode about uh, NFTs, about cryptocurrency, about Puerto Rico. Neocolonialism. Neocolonialism. <laughs> all that interesting good stuff. We made fun of this dude who looked weird. <laughs> yeah, we were... We were uh, <laughs> pissed off at this brock whatever brock pierce who like are we gonna give them the update now or we're gonna save that for later what's the update oh yeah yeah just tell them the update now so sarah just for for so you understand there's this guy brock pierce who's just running daniel's island he's a little pokemon master he's (laughs) he literally made his money mining he literally made his money mining gold on world of warcraft Oh, wow. Somehow funded by Steve Bannon, and he's turned that into, like, a cryptocurrency empire, and he's bought up, like, a plot of land in Puerto Rico that he's called, uh, Seoul, but he initially called it the... Puerto Pia, or, like, Puerto the, Pia. The, the... The jokingly called, like, the, the, the eternal... Like, I even forgot the, the name. Eternal the eternal boy playground. eternal boy playground. Yeah. So we did a whole episode about this guy and what a piece of shit he is. Yeah. He was, like, a child star. He was... Have you ever seen Mighty Ducks? Uh, yeah. You remember in the beginning, Gordon Bombay, like young Gordon Bombay, he misses that goal. I feel goal, like more people are up. going to remember him from First Kid. Nobody's going to remember First Kid, bro. Everyone knows Mighty Ducks. Sinbad? Sarah? Is, Sinbad? Uh, I, which one is First Kid? Exactly. <laughs> no, so the little the little loser kid of version of Gordon Bombay, he grew up to become this sociopath, uh, self-help guru, tech billionaire who's buying up a tremendous amount of land in Puerto Rico. And we said, like, these people are going to start getting fucked up over there. Daniel yeah. sent me an article. <laughs> Daniel the day sent, after. Or the like day the, after. The night of. Was it the night of? It was the day after? No, it was the day after. It was the day after. Uh, it was so good. And it was it was in Spanish, but I hit that Google Translate. And the article is along the lines of, like, uh, this guy's getting bullied. Like, people are have a... what? What is the challenge? It's called Tumbal el Sombrero Challenge, which which translates to snatch his hat, <laughs> because he's like he he's dressed like this pickup artist person, and he has like these ridiculous top hats and like uh sleeveless uh jean vest shit. Like he does like like bracelets and yeah. he has a big hat. Shit. 
he has a famously big goofy hat like he's like a pirate or something and so all the puerto ricans are like knocking it off capturing it on video and making fun of him and like the article is like you know making fun of how he looked like a scared little sheep (laughs) (laughs) so fuck brock pierce and uh fuck ice abolish ice free puerto rico Free, free Puerto Rico, and uh, join the Patreon. Yeah, down with neocolonialism. Check out our Patreon. Now back to the capitalism. <laughs> so, so this this character. Uh, oh, real, real quick, real Denji. quick. One more update. Uh huh. Because our manager is listening, obviously. <laughs> uh huh. He did this thing where after we just railed on NFTs for like a whole episode. He dropped his own NFT. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. Wait, what is NFT? What does NFT stand for? An NFT is a non-fungible token, which is basically mm-hmm. like a trading card, cryptocurrency. You okay. can't be changed, but you can attach to anything. So people are attaching it to everything. From original art to, you know, uh vid- I still sports, don't know what it means, Sarah. Sports <laughs> clips. <laughs> like like they like the NBA is selling like pictures of like, you know, or like little like ten second clips of like what it is mm. the what the way the way you're explaining it is is the objects it it's attached to but what it is is like an an authentication system for for uh, it does like, I think it does more than that but basically it's a valueless like com- digital token that's uh, encrypted and fine. people people want to collect them to you know for cryptocurrency reasons and because it it bolsters the value of Ethereum basically which is it's a whole thing. Listen to the bo- listen to the bonus podcast, Sarah. <laughs> spent, I'll send you. I'll send you spent, it on the side. I've spent so many years trying not to understand cryptocurrency, and it seems like it's going to be something that I have to learn. That's yeah. that was us this last episode. It it felt like really like uh, an old dog trying to learn a new trick, and it, I'm not. It's not. It's not going in right now. I remember, remember during the GameStops thing, it was like, uh, it was like, it had gotten so crazy. It was like stonks and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. it was like, I need, I needed, I needed to put money into dog coin to buy the dip and get diamond hands or something. And something's a big. <laughs> to the, I, and we yeah. were all going to the moon somehow. So our manager, our manager, Matt, you know the ceo of mexflintio he created an nft for his digital comic the famous meme that he created where it's like a peasant carrying sticks and he's complaining about society and there's like a guy making fun of him like uh-huh. oh you say you hate society and let you live in one like that thing yeah yeah, yeah. like he's put an nft on that so he's trying to make some money to <laughs> you know pro- and he's now threatening selling us out man he's threatening that he's going to put nfts on uh mexflintio so, you know, tweet down with Matt Boers. Shame on you, Matt mm-hmm. Boers. Mm-hmm. We're thinking of unionizing so that we can, you know, formally put out a Mex Flintayo union anti down with it management. He's uh, saying he's saying he has a right to about like 90% of the profits from all of my JPEGs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's saying that I, if I scan any art, he's getting 90% of that too, which is insane. But let's move on. <laughs> Let's back to the story. <laughs> seems seems worse. Denji, Denji gets called up for one. Like I said, it's like you claim to hate society and let you live in one. That's kind of the that's kind of the predicament that I feel like Denji has is like you know <laughs> he just wants to live in a world where he eats jam and you know hug girls 
touch breasts, which we'll learn later, is like one of his big things. Pivotal plot points. <laughs> yeah. The book, apparently. I mean, a whole chapter is called "I Want to Touch Boobs," <laughs> which which owns. But uh, his whole thing is like you know he just wants to live in this world, but every single part of this world is is structured against him, uh-huh. and it invades every aspect of his life, including his dreams. So he wakes up one day and he's called by his boss to go to uh, like an abandoned warehouse. And, you know, on his way over, I took a screenshot, Sarah, like similar to you. I just taken like screenshots of like the hot moments mm. and the panel where his boss is driving him to oh, the yeah. place. And he I says, I wish that. they'd let me dream to me like such a beautiful panel where he's just like looking longfully out the door, wishing his life could be simple. Like that panel and the one that I talked about were the two that got me on board a thousand percent with the book. Yeah. So he goes he goes with his boss to this abandoned warehouse saying that, you know, his, his boss wakes him up telling him he needs to fight a devil. He goes there. Nobody's there. And these mobsters tell him, although he's a good dog, that they don't really like him. So because this is like a nihilistic hellscape world... They, they backstab him, like literally run up on him with the sword, stab him in the back and like fatally wounding poor little Pochita stabs him right through the fucking body. And uh, why? Because they are in service of another devil, which is one of the crazier looking devils in the book, the zombie devil. Yeah. And the, the zombie devil's whole thing is that he hates devil hunters because they're all hunting devils. So every devil hunter that he gets brought uh, dead, he revives them as more zombies. And uh, pretty fucking sick looking art in this part of it. Um, Denji tries to run away and all of the zombies just hack him into pieces. Uh, There's some... page where it's like a full page splash and it's just like darkness and the only light source is all of the blades that are running through denji mm-hmm. is an is an incredible moment um it, it's a it's a nightmare moment you're like where's this book going <laughs> <laughs> right i was actually a little confused because i'm just like wait a minute what the fuck just happened but there's like a it, while he's running away from these like zom- these knife zombies, uh, he's like there's a flashback of him again laying down with Pochita like a few minutes earlier, where he's saying just dreaming of a normal life was not a- was enough for me. Do I even get to have that much? And then the next page is just him getting hacked to pieces, just like a bunch of knives going through his body, and then it cuts to like him in a trash can that they just dumped him in. <laughs> but if you remember earlier. Uh, blood powers up the little devils. So blood from his mouth in the sick, in a sick sequence drips down like two panels into Pochita's mouth. He eats it. And then we see Pochita's dream as Pochita comes back alive and it shows him back with Denji in happier days when they were just cutting down trees and hanging out, talking about, well, you know, Denji's talking to him about his goals and life and, um, he tells him that he heard that devils can take over dead bodies when he dies. And there's like a sweet moment where he tells him, you know, if, if I get killed, I want you to take my body. 
Uh, he says, I want you to live a normal life and to die a normal death instead of, you know, the hellscape that they live in. So he lifts him up and he says, make my dreams come true for me, which again is like so reminiscent of like Ash saying like, I choose you, Pikachu, <laughs> you know? And then, then we cut back to the current day where we see his like hacked body parts being uh, put back together by like this thorny uh, like vein. Again, it looks so beautiful. These shots like in between panels and his body reforming back with Pochita at his heart. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Blade of the Immortal. There's a lot of like <laughs> uh, similar imagery with uh, a hacked up body. Like I, I can I can see a lot of like references to classic classic stuff. Yeah, when when he was talking about him uh, to Pochita again, this is it was a I'll, I'll save that to the wrap up. I'll save it to the wrap up. So yeah, he he Pochita tells him like you know I've I've always loved listening to your dreams. This is a contract. I'll give you my heart. And in exchange, I want you to show me your dreams. And when he says that, he wakes back up in the trash can, not not in pieces anymore. He's And his all of his wounds are gone. And uh, now Pochita's gone, but he's got a ripcord where his, where his heart is. Sick visual. Like <laughs> yeah, really cool. Yeah. Really cool idea. Especially because like most of the time, he, this kid is walking around shirtless. So he wakes up and he's surrounded by the same zombies and they're all pissed and confused because they're like, we can't eat him if he's alive now. <laughs> and he thinks about these zombies and he says, these guys already had plenty. How, how come they wanted an even better life? Maybe I'm the same. I should have been happy as long as I had Pochita, but I still dreamed of a better life. And again, like that, that, that just kind of reinforces what I was talking about of like, this whole thing is just like this metaphor for like, capitalism and embracing like your role in it he's like all these zombies like they had everything but look at them they still wanted more and now look at what they've become they're just like soulless cretins that are like serving this master who's like this hideous fucking beast and he's like am i going to become that if i keep following down this path you know he says if you're going to get in our way then die so he pulls the ripcord and he turns into fucking chainsaw man chainsaw man is fucking sick chainsaw man is like his head is like a it's like the body of a chainsaw with like crazy little mechanics in between the mouth it kind of looks like the neon genesis evangelion like the big robot monster things right Hmm. it's got a bunch of these fucked up crazy teeth and most importantly a chainsaw through his head (laughs) and he's also got two chainsaws running down his arms and chainsaws coming out of his feet it's such an awkward looking design, but I think it's so fucking rad <laughs> and so in line with like the aesthetics of this book. Yeah, it's it's entirely for, for the brutality of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just it's supposed to look unnatural. It's not supposed to look. I feel like like I said, like the head is like a neon jelly, whatever. I, I can never pronounce it. <laughs> just an, an Ava. An Ava. An Ava. It's suppo- it re- I think it's supposed to be a little reminiscent of that, or at least again to me. Because I have a shallow analysis of manga. Is it manga or manga? Um, Does it um, matter? I... It, it, the Japanese pronunciation is, is a lot like ro- the romance languages. So it's A-E-I-O-U. So it's well, like that didn't manga. answer my question. Just tell me the question. <laughs> it's, manga. It's, it's manga. Manga. It's okay, however cool. you pronounce it in English, I guess. But 
I, I've been trying to uh, get into the mode of saying like Japanese comics instead of manga because that's a that's a good point. Yes, yeah. because there's people act like there's a barrier when it's still just that's the same medium that we all enjoy mm-hmm. and work in. And so, I fully agree with you. 100%. I, I had a phase where I, I thought I was a manga ka. That's <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing. Yes. I remember, though, this editor put out a call for black manga artists. And it was like, well, you're just talking about a comic artist who draws with like a Japanese style. But, you know, it was just like, oh, it's just an awkward phrasing. Like, there is no such thing unless you're just talking about like a black comic artist. You know, that's it. That's any mm-hmm. black artist. But there's a there was a guy um, that I had like sort of online beef with uh, that made comics named uh, Burliac. Mm. And uh, he's from Argentina. Okay. And uh he his whole thing was that he 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 drew like in a heavily uh like old Japanese comic style and um because of that he basically decided that he was Japanese or that he was like mm. <laughs> uh that he was like you say a, ma- a mangaka and that he was making uh, Japanese comics and he was Japanese himself and is like that by virtue of like making these comics this way it, like altered his identity and um yeah he was also very transphobic <laughs> weirdly mm. just how we got into it interesting side note uh if you have a beef with an argentinian it's called churrasco Ooh, fun <laughs> and that's that he's the only argentinian i've ever had problems with usually i get along with them better than anywhere else oh really yeah because the um I used to, I wrote a bunch of stuff about um, Alberto Breccia's uh, comics. Mm. And uh, he's like kind of like the Jack Kirby of like their comics and kind of world, co- like one of the giants of like world comics. Mm. And I have like some of like the only writing in English on his stuff, at least until it's some of it started to come out by Fanographics recently. So I'm sure there's more now, but maybe not. Who knows? That's right. I, I need to read that. But yeah, the the uh, what a oh. style is and what manga is or what Japanese comics are is is it's broken. It's broken. The barriers of what these things are have been broken after like uh, uh, decades of globalization. And, and there and there is like a dialogue between like uh, Japanese artists and like uh, European artists and also American artists, like in terms of oh, yeah. uh, art passing back and forth especially like uh someone like mobius uh mm-hmm. obviously had a big impact on several artists over there oh and yeah my then, favorite my favorite manga artist uh like mangaka or whatever hiro taniguchi <laughs> he did um a book called ikara ikara yeah oh. and i love that book um but all of his books are i mean all of his work looks like vaguely european which is why I think I like it so much, just because I'm like, my art tends to look a little European because of my influences and everything. Um, well, think of yeah. um, think of how um, like One Punch Man looks. I mean, it looks very like Western at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned like Fire Force earlier, but Fire Force literally like huge chunks of it are just like him doing the x-men because <laughs> like i mean they literally have like the power like fire related powers that are just basically the x-men yeah yeah oh so, so uh my point about the a- ava 
uh. <laughs> is that those suits, the design for that kind of thing is like very elegant and Chainsaw Man is very like unelegant, you know, uh. it's like intentionally sort of awkward and like misfitting. And I, I think that's like kind of to the point of just like, it's just violent. It's just crazy. It adds you know? to the like horror of it and gives kind of like uh, inherent uh, kineticism to yeah. to him. And it, mm-hmm. it sort of like makes it more so it's like you can kind of feel like the chainsaws rumbling just by the way that he's drawn. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like, and just the way like the blood is splattering mm. crazy and just like all of that, like when he's going full chainsaw mode. Like, just the lines are just chaotic and, and like, just, it feels like, like, stabs, you know? It's not, like, elegant strokes. It's, it's like... The book really, like, changes yeah. as soon as he becomes Chainsaw Man. Like, the, the aesthetic goes crazy. It does that, like, even to a much larger extent later in the book as well. And um, I think that kind of dovetails with uh, what we were talking about earlier in terms of, like, having coming having this like other kind of realist style um like Mm -hmm. having like multiple styles like that means you can kind of like switch in and out for dramatic effect and it works really really well yeah so we get this amazing action scene of him just like violently stabbing everyone and like you know um i love chainsaw texas chainsaw massacre Mm mm-hmm it's one of my favorite, like, just franchises in probably, general. The first movie is probably one of my, like, top three or four movies. Oh, really? So, have you watched all of them? Um, I've seen... I can't remember if I've seen, like, three. Which one is the one that has uh, Chop Top? Is that two? That's two. Yeah, so I've, I've only seen one, two, and then I've seen the remake and then i've seen the leatherface thing that they did recently i love that yeah uh, fa- famously again controversial I, th- I i gave it a seven out of seven on my movie scale which is it's near impossible to get you really have to put out a masterpiece and i was watching it with my friends and i said if they start playing a like a dusty record while he puts on the leatherface <laughs> I, this movie's a seven out of seven and then they did it and i was like it's a seven it's a beautiful movie it's perfect and then the, i watched the there was like a special uh or like a deleted uh, alternate ending mm. and there's a scene where he like cuts the skin off the, the girl's face mm. to make the leather face and i was just like they should have kept this <laughs> like, made this it an eight it would have made it, yeah. It, I mean, it was already a seven out of seven. That would have really just cemented it. It would have never been even a question in my mind. But one of my favorite things about those movies is just like the anarchy, the chaos, the dirt, the grime, and like this captures that. This feels like that, and I love that juxtaposed again with like you said, like the horror elements of like a zombie movie, mm. where it's just like there's also a zombie movie going on. But, it, like, who gives a shit? Because there's a fucking chainsaw man now. Yeah, there's <laughs> like, no more insane element than having a chainsaw coming out of your face. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got, like, a long-ass tongue because he has, like, a dog's tongue because he's still the chainsaw dog at heart. Like, literally a chainsaw dog at heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this is, like, the evolved form of, like, you know, 
like Blastoise over Squirtle. <laughs> it's like, did, did you yeah, ever just... see the image from like later in the book when he's like in Chainsaw Man mode and he's riding the shark demon? Fucking no. <laughs> oh, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> oh my god, it sounds so fucking sick. Um, I look here's the thing: I love this book. I love chainsaws. Have you ever used a chainsaw? Uh, no, I'm too clumsy and, uh, all I can think about when I'm around them is just the, of like accidentally chopping off a limb or something. <laughs> I used to, uh, when I, when I was, uh, I used to do like work and stuff with my dad a little bit and you know, I, I wasn't allowed to, I had to use fucking like, um, like sort of like bolt cutters you know like or like axes basically they would never let me use the chainsaw but when i did it was a thrill like you could just feel it through your whole body so i've always i've always loved leatherface but you know there's no reason to have it it's like a gun right there's no reason to have a gun you can get you can get that same vibration from a trimmer like (laughs) (laughs) i can get the same one from like a lawnmower too but that fucking sucks that's bullshit a chainsaw you have a fucking saw in front of you that's it's so crazy have you ever um, seen those like uh they're it's like world's strongest man type competitions but with chainsaws oh yeah. where they have to like cut down like as many like logs as they can i love those i love anything on espn4 <laughs> any competition where it's like they the rules are vaguely undefined but you you know it by feeling it <laughs> the rule is like the vibe i love those so yeah, Chainsaw Man is going ballistic. He's going he's going absolutely crazy and he kills every zombie in the warehouse, just cuts all their heads off. And when he's done, these three people walk into the room, a woman and and two men all in the same suits, the guys have hats, and they they were going there to kill the demons, but you know, they they're there late cuz Chainsaw Man's already done the job. They're like, "Hey, we're we're here with the government." Yeah, they're the, <laughs> right. they're the authority uh figures in in this yeah they see a room just full of mauled zombies and chainsaw man standing at the center and the the woman says wait a minute (laughs) like this isn't what we're here for this thing is is different and she looks at him and there's like a beautiful panel of her she says did you do this and she's like you know she's kind of classic manga girl you know, like classic Japanese sort of like weeb girl and everything. But like I said, she's wearing like big bulky clothes. She's got uh, bullseye eyes, like little targets for eyes, which when they move, it looks like they're kind of like inverted. There's a very strange effect on her. Something hypnotizing. Yeah. What are you saying, uh, Sarah? I was just going to say, yeah, she's a really interesting character. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to learn more about her. But she sees Chainsaw Man and he like passes out topples and he says hold me so she gives him a hug and he transforms back into like human form and then she realizes oh this he's not a devil he's half human and uh the guy behind her says oh is is he possessed and she says no because you can see the possessions on their faces um so he she tells him that she's a public safety devil hunter He's got two choices. He could be killed by her as a devil or be kept by her as a human, like a dog. She says, I'm a pet. I'll give you food. And again, sustenance is kind of the only thing that's like, you know, he's like a feral creature. It's the only thing on his mind. Just like survival is the only 
concern of, of Denji. So he says, food, what could I get for breakfast? And she says, let's see. Bread, butter, jam, salad, coffee, maybe dessert. And there's like a great shot of him where it's like God shining a light down <laughs> on his face. He says, that's the dream come true. And it literally is because, you know, earlier when he was with the dog, he was like dreaming of literally just like eating bread with jam, hugging a girl. Here he is in the arms of this beautiful woman who said that she's going to feed him whatever he wants. And uh, that's the end of chapter one. It's a beautiful comic. What are your takeaways? Um, well, I remember when I when I read chapter uh, chapter one, like the first volume um just being kind of blown away by that, like the sort of economic anxiety in that mixed with the kind of like heavy metal action stuff. Yeah. And um, I had been concurrently, I had been reading his uh, book fire punch, um, which is a lot darker than this. Um, so this was kind of like um, more kind of cartoony than that in a way that I enjoyed. And, um, yeah, uh, I, 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 it obviously like stuck with me enough to where like, instead of waiting for the next like collection to come out, cause it was going to be like several months. I went ahead and just read the rest of the thing on Shonen Jump on the app mm. and great um, app Shonen Jump. Yeah. Like two bucks, you get access to like everything. <laughs> it's amazing. The business model of that app is has to uh, promote so much uh, new readership. And it's something that, it, again, just comparing it to comics, is is they do so much to uh, stop new readership. <laughs> Though I do think um, Marvel's app is pretty good in terms of oh, yeah. like old stuff. Um, I don't, I used to have that on my phone um, for like getting like screenshots of like different things. Um, cause you can search by like artists names a lot easier than cause DC has one too. And you, it's really difficult to navigate, but the Marvel one was pretty decent in terms of that. But Shonen Jump is on like a whole other level in terms of there's like way more there. And what's there is like stuff that you like is very bingeable, like reading wise, just because of like, that's how Shonen manga typically is anyways. And once you pop, just can't stop with it. <laughs> yeah, I just read it on I think Comicsology. I think it was like six bucks for this for like 190 pages. Pretty good deal. So I mean, like I you know I I don't know what I I'd never used that app, but I don't read a lot of manga, so it's like you mm-hmm. know I've never tried it. Is that on there? Or? Yeah, it's free on there as well. I think. Oh my god! So you can get the wasted whole four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Not even to get it in print because it's uh, I know it's interesting to look at like this in print as versus like on digitally like digitally it's still really good but like when it's printed I like the way that like manga like I like the way that like black and art black and white art like bleeds into that kind of uh, newsprint newspaper print stuff mm-hmm. yeah and it kind of like causes stuff to kind of mix together in a really pleasing way I think and that I mean I'm- probably works really well with this art style. I'm old school. I like everything in print. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind I of a freak in that way. But I generally I'll, like that. But when you talk about like shonen manga, like you're talking about a lot of these series have like hundreds and hundreds of volumes. 
that's the thing. <laughs> so, like with manga, I'm a little like, okay, like I can't have 50 volumes of something on my shelf. Like it's impossible. But you know, I I I still buy the print stuff of things that I really love, like Teo Matsumoto. Like you know, he has like you know seven volumes of Sunny. So I'll buy seven. Like that's doable. Like Pluto, that's doable. Akira, that's doable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and the good thing about Chainsaw Man is it actually isn't like one of those forever ongoing ones. Like it actually yeah. ends at only, it's only like a hundred and I think 119 chapters or something. Mm. Um, hold on. I have the app open. It is, it's only 97 chapters. Oh, that's um, not too bad. But there's uh they're doing a like season two kind of thing eventually. Cause it was mm. so popular. I don't know how good that'll be. But well, I mean, it concludes pretty definitely on like ninety seven. Oh, interesting. Like I, I know when you said because I told I was talking to you about like I can't find this book anywhere. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking bullshit. And you're like, well, it just got it just got announced that they're making an anime about it. Yeah. So I think that's probably why it's so popping. People are like, oh, I got to read. This. You know what I mean? Like if you they hadn't already bought into it, they just like they're buying in now. I think. But, you know, I think it was. It's honestly, it's the other way around. Like it's probably oh, the really? most popular comic that is not an anime right now like because mm. uh, i um i didn't just get this figure to find this on my own it was like the people that i trust from her yeah the, it was like pretty persistent especially oh around like august september or like august september the chapters that were dropping on shonen jump around then like were so crazy like people were just like completely going nuts about them and i just like kind of bit the bullet and um i read the like first one in print and then i was like oh yeah i have to read the rest of this i so, felt that buzz around one punch man and i remember yes. thinking like this isn't for me i yeah i never have gotten super into one punch man i, I like um i i kind of like the the artist one's like own stuff like uh mob his mob psycho stuff that's not uh mm-hmm. not drawn mm-hmm. by Ran- range murata because it has like a very like um comic-y like there's lots of cool kind of stuff that he does like in terms of like comic-y stuff that yeah. can kind of work regardless of what style you're working in so it's kind of interesting i think one punch man is 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 more of a feels more like a premium art object i, I know it it the the hype of it uh forgets that like the one punch man anime hype it is completely um i feel like it's completely separated from the the sheer talent of yusuke murata um and uh, like my appreciation for for one punch man comes from that but um in general, uh, when 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 a manga starts building hype, um, and I imagine that's the case with this book, but I just, I haven't gotten to those chapters. But uh, th- these first volumes are the are the things you have to read for when you get to those hype moments, when you start to see the buzz, when you start to see people uh, really talking about what just happened in that latest chapter. Dan, did you have any closing thoughts on one, on the first chapter? Um, uh, on the first chapter specifically, uh, I, well, yeah, I, I guess the I book, the first chapter, see more. I, I, I saw a lot of, uh, the metaphors, but I was also, uh, seeing this more from the tropes that I'm a little bit used to. Like I was seeing a lot of, uh, uh, parasite 
or devil man type i think devil uh, man is definitely a big has to be a big influence i would think parasite with a y right parasite with a y i i like i said this has been like a year of watching anime so i saw it on hulu it looked interesting enough it had like that body horror element and and i can like once you see like the the fusing of of the uh, monster and the and the human and the transformation it's not one-to-one but you 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 see similarities in 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 the story um and i i was catching those things but but this was doing something different with it um no no comic or no manga that i had read was this brutal about poverty yeah yeah yeah, that, the, that that that's something that it actually does end up keeping through the rest of the book to a degree like so many people's decisions are um economically based in terms of like the danger that they put themselves in and it's not just um dingy but other characters and um i th- think i found that like really fascinating um just because like that's I don't feel like I've seen that very often. I mean, you usually see, you do see like, you know, usually the main character or a shonen comic has like a terrible backstory and they come from kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's always kind of a rags to riches type thing. But this was very like, I felt very honest and very like um, reflective of like being in that situation in a way that I hadn't seen in a lot of comics, let alone like one that had a guy with a giant chainsaw head (laughs) right so my 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 closing thought on the thing is going back a bit to like when i said before i met like you know james heron and uh daniel and nick and before i sort of was like traveling making comics and got to do all that cool shit like i remember being in my mom's uh like backyard like we had like a not like a shack, but it was like I've mentioned before. I used to live in like the back room where like they kept the dogs, mm. and it was like uh, it was like a concrete room because it used to be a sunroom. But we took off the carpets because the dogs kept pissing on it, mm. so it smelled. So we put up just like walls, like drywalls with like the you know the wooden beams, and you know kind of just like locked me in. And I they had no insulation, no heat. It was hot as shit, and I was doing just whatever to get by, you know, like doing little jobs across town for the motorcycle club, screen printing place, doing commissions on eBay for like $20 for like dudes that were like, uh, perverts for like Sinbad sailor, (laughs) like just do, just doing whatever I could to make money. And then I like when it felt like I was going to give up. I remember telling my stepdad, like we mentioned this on the show. I said, like, give me a couple months. And that felt like that was my moment where, like, I embraced my little chainsaw dog. <laughs> I was like, give me a couple months. I think I can make something happen. And then I took a Marvel job and I sort of spun that into this career. It kind of got wildly out of control. But because of that, I was able to, you know, buy a car, pay rent in my own place with insulation in the walls. <laughs> um, like, buy shoes that w- that didn't have holes in them. By you know, by things live in society like a hu- like a regular human being. Have a smartphone, right? Buy a computer that doesn't that wasn't running Windows two thousand. Like, 
I was, when I say I can relate to this character for living feral and doing whatever, <laughs> like I truly felt like when I was reading this, like this is me when I was 24, you know, and I was just like living real basic, simple lifestyle. Like I kept a low ceiling that way I can like go to school, survive, pay the little bills that my parents were like, you know, give us this much for rent, give us this much for whatever, for whatever. So I, I felt like, okay, I'm doing that. And it feels, you know, good. It'll actually be, it'll be interesting to hear how you end up uh, relating to the uh, later sections as Dingy, like, becomes kind of a, you know, employee of the government and, like, <laughs> has to right. navigate that sort of situation. So, like, in a similar way that he gave up his life to this, like, little chainsaw dog, it's like, I kind of gave, felt like I gave up my life to, like, the art of making comics. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I kind of became obsessive about it. And, you know, that was your personal capitalism monster. <laughs> it is my it is literally my personal capitalism <laughs> monster. Like every time we support the Patreon, every time we talk about the Patreon, every time I, you know, did commissions or have to promote my little comics, every time I do anything like that, every time it feels good to get money coming in, it feels like I am embracing the system the <laughs> same way that Denji embraces you know, killing devils. Right. But just being sort of coherent of that is what I like about this book, because I know a lot of what's different from like a lot of Japanese comics to American ones. A lot of the Japanese comics are written by people who are kind of self-reflective, whereas American comics are not (laughs) like American comics. They want to make stories to like potentially turn into, you know, movies and TV shows. And they just don't feel like they're about shit, but this feels like, it's a person talking about the struggle of trying to come to terms with giving your life up to this thing that is potentially very evil and what that's like and how that feels. And, you know, like I said, like I just had, I had real basic dreams, like a very simple life. And, you know, knowing that it'll always hurt you because it's your only option is kind of the sacrifice that you make and the the sort of promise that you make to yourself to just do everything you can to like let it see your dreams come true. And I've been I feel like very fortunate that I have been able to do that. I have been able to meet all these artists that I fucking admire and go all over the country to like meet people that like my art and gave me money to like support this fucking thing that I'm doing. And uh in a way, when I get to draw, it's like me fucking growing a chainsaw out of my head. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it sucks, but it's the fucking thing that I have to do. So that, those are my thoughts on Chainsaw Man. Well, it's like his uh, his exchange is that he has to allow uh, Pochito to, like... Uh, consume him, well, like, literally. Consume specifically his dreams. Right. Uh, which, that's that's kind of analogous to, like, how comics work in terms of, like, you have to kind of feed it that sort of imagination space in order your to... Your blood. Yeah. yeah. You, feed it, you feed it your blood, you feed it your dreams, and if you're... <laughs> If you're good at it, then it'll it'll pay it'll pay it back. But that's that's that I think is like sort of the the theme of this. And you know, I, I read an interview with with the artist writer, and he was saying that you know if you're not writing comics about what you're really about, then he doesn't find them interesting. So I think a lot of his personal opinions about that stuff are are in there. Yeah, and and even like I guess once we start moving into the uh later chapters of the story where he becomes employed it is not like 
it, it it's it's a uh, he's still doing the the devil thing at, but he's he's not in any way more secure or in a in, like he's he's still owned he's still a, a the property of of another company even though he's like in a in a, in, a, in a better place uh, which is also continuing this sort of uh metaphor of uh either capitalism or or freelance life i guess hmm. Yeah, well, I, we can't go through, like, every chapter by chapter, but I do want to talk about the other cool shit yeah. that happens in the first book. So, like, what are your favorite parts that happen in the book? Well, the, the, the first volume ends with the with the uh, conflict with the bat, the giant yeah. bat. Well, so at the end of the first volume, you meet the character Power, who's a yes. fiend. Yeah. Power owns. Yeah. Yes. Power's um. the best character in the whole series. <laughs> Well, I think Denji's the best, but Power is very cool. I I love Power <laughs> and like her relationship with Denji. They're both kind of morons. Yes. <laughs> so and they both uh, kind of antagonize uh, Aki, who's kind of like the kind of straight man of the mm-hmm. yeah. little group. Aki Hayawaka. Yeah, and so there's like lots of nice, not lots of nice little comic relief bits between those two, and um, the I love the design for Power with the like horns and blonde hair and sort of uh, business suit with the tie. She's so cool. I like how she kind of looks like Avril Lavigne. He <laughs> complicated <laughs> Avril One, not the clone, the original Avril before yeah. the government took her out for being too real. The, the the clone that uh, married Chad Kroger. Not the clone that married Chad <laughs> Kroger. Not the clone that was that made the very offensive Japanese culture video. The one before that that would never do that. The <laughs> one that made the Skater Boy. The mall in the, I'm, in the I'm talking RVs. about complicated. I'm talking about Skater Boy. <laughs> yeah. Pre her being killed by the CIA. <laughs> I think but, I think it was like punishment for mispronouncing David Bowie. Who's David Bowie? Mm, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking about Avril Lavigne right now. The a goddess. No, no, I love I do love power. And I love how, you know, it's again another another female character who's like sexualized by Denji, but in such a funny way where she's got like, you know, big clothes on all the time. Well, and it's just like her shirt's untucked. They don't they don't lean into it. That's the kind of like it's not the Japanese schoolgirl shit that is kind of like cringe you know what i mean <laughs> well as an adult let's not let's not sell it as being too progressive at one point yeah uh, dingy uh, refers to power as my boobs when she's like swallowed rules. by the bat <laughs> like you said he's a moron because he, he only thinks of her in terms of the he only, he only thinks of anybody in terms of the transaction right yeah because capitalism that's not yeah, his fault is, that's the devil's is, fault uh, the sick manga version of of the of the high schooler trying to get laid plot. Yeah. Well, I no. I, let me let me be clear. I don't think it's progressive the way they treat women. I think it's different than just flat out gross. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and, and they do. It is a like key point of the book. Like they do. Like he he evolves and kind of learns different things in terms of like how he views like women and like what he actually wants and like what actually makes him happy. And that, 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 that side of him uh, kind of evolves as he gets more experience. But I mean, at this point you can't really, I mean, he's basically a child. Yeah. The other, the other like main female character that we mentioned is the woman. He learns her name is Makima. And I feel like that's a very interesting character. Um, I read something where somebody said like in the interview that they, that they read with the writer, 
an artist that he believes chainsaws are about cutting trees. And if you take the tree symbol out of her name in Japanese, it's just like literally mother. But mm. like they made her a very maternal character, but like a maternal character who's also like super manipulative and like you can't trust her, which I find like fascinating. There's so many shots where she's like cradling him like the Virgin Mary cradles Jesus and stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I don't want to give away her whole deal, but it's very interesting and it's pretty it's kind of it's a lot more complex than you would think like it's there's lots of sort of twists and turns um in this book that where i was just like you because i i've read i mean i've read enough comics i've watched enough movies and tv shows that you can kind of i can kind of tell where things are going yeah uh, there's a lot there were several times in this book where i was genuinely surprised by the direction things took and like um i keep bringing up his book before this fire uh, fire punch uh but fire punch is like basically chapter after chapter of bizarre like turns that you wouldn't expect or think that like to the point of like absurdity yeah um whereas in chainsaw man it's much more sort of paced out and those things happen um like with like you know 15 chapters in between or something like that so it's much more uh impactful and not just kind of like traumatizing <laughs> like fire like fire punch man to tell you to give you an idea of it is about this uh guy who can uh it's like this future apocalypse world that's like um covered in snow uh, there's yeah. no like sun and um people have these like gifts of like superpowers and him and his like sister have this ability to like regenerate yeah um and so the local village because they can't like grow food or like burn anything they chop limbs off of them for uh like food and um heat yeah uh, because they can regenerate because these kids can regenerate and um why it becomes fire punch is that this like government force comes in and this uh person with this ability to like uh use like eternal fire that like doesn't stop burning um like uses that power on him and so he like uh you think he's gonna die but he just like um spends like 100 years like regenerating himself while burning like constantly Mm. (laughs) and like learning how to like deal with the pain and like not being able to breathe and stuff and then like the story kind of takes off from there and it's just kind of like there's like child trafficking and like (laughs) uh all kinds of horrible terrible things and uh it's it's like some someone said it uh, someone online said it was basically like the like the edgelord comic like everything is like so like dark i'm not even i'm not even through with that i'm almost afraid to see where it goes because uh, is it more brutal than berserk yes much more i gotta read it it's I, very, i've been called i've been called dark. an edgelord once or twice in my day <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very dark and very nihilistic and very like one of the fascinating things with it is it because of is its ability to kind of like implant its setting into you so mm. it's like this cold no, world with no heat and just kind of like completely nihilistic and everyone everyone talks weird and like doesn't don't interact with each other in sort of normal human ways how long um, is that one by the way um i think it's eight volumes mm and uh yeah i'm only on the fourth volume right now 
Um, but it's, uh, um, I have no idea where it's going to go from here. Cause I thought like after the third volume, we were kind of like at an ending point, but <laughs> there's more, there's like half the story to go. So who knows? I, uh, I like I going back to Chainsaw Man. I love, there's a, there's a chapter, uh, opening like image, not really like a cover, but whatever it's called, like a splash opening thing where it's Denji with a dog collar on his neck. And like a, a bunch of hands holding it and he's like shirtless and he's in like his underwear, but he's wearing a tie. And I felt like that's just, just a great image of like where he's at. <laughs> you know what I mean, like there's like a weird, there's like a weird undercurrent of him being like a sub to, yeah. to Makima's like Dom. Uh, it, it's not even, as you'll see, it's not even really an undercurrent. Oh, they just like straight go into it. <laughs> like this is... Uh, pretty, pretty much, pretty much like it's, uh, that's awesome. I'm going to need to read the rest of this book. <laughs> yeah. Daniel said on the last episode, uh, <laughs> that, what, what did you say? Somebody quoted it and it made me laugh so hard out of context. No, it, it's, it's, I guess the, the whole like, uh, strong dominant woman. We were talking about Joan Cusack in, yeah. in Adam's family and like the idea that if a woman like has this power or, or like can hurt you it's it, it's a good thing <laughs> and there's a lot of that here this like the yeah, dog's uh, imagery Makima's whole whole deal yeah no i mean like she controls everybody without doing much more than staring at them with those eyes yeah like even power who's like con- like even more sort of uncontrollable and rabid than than uh denji even power like she just says like a word to her and then she like settles the fuck down yeah <laughs> One of my favorite moments from Power, by the way, is when uh, her and Denji first meet. There, she smells blood because she is a blood devil. And a thing about the devils that we didn't talk about during the review, but all the devils they gain their power based on like the emotions that people give that thing. So like certain devils are more powerful than other based on what the word evokes to people. So like the tomato devil, fairly weak. But a zombie devil, very strong, because when you think of the the word devil, your your mind conjures up more horrible things. So that's why Makima is so interested in Denji is she's like, think about what a fucking chainsaw makes people think of. Well, the did you guys they I think they introduced this in the first book um, or at least early on, because um, the big sort of devil thereafter is the gun devil. Oh, we haven't got to the gun devil yet. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see him. I, I heard that he looks sick, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, the well, yeah, it's when you finally see the gun devil, it's like lives up to the hype. It's like one of the crazy and then the way that he depicts like his power is like one of the crazier things I've seen in comics. Like there's all kinds also... there's all kind of like oh, visually sorry. very like visually inventive um designs and stuff in the series, especially as you go deeper into it that are um, really go outside of the sort of mold of like what you're used to seeing um, every time because by this point of reading comics you've kind of there's like certain sort of archetypes that things fall into in terms of like mm-hmm. monsters and the way things monsters are kind of drawn and put together and this one's just like what what are, <laughs> it's like I mean just they take chainsaw man it's like oh what if we put a chainsaw through this guy's head just like so sick stuff that's just so it's almost like a child like putting together monster mm-hmm. bits yeah and it becomes it's really fascinating to see how it like works and is actualized 
It's like if Axe Cop wasn't so fascist. And <laughs> um, I I think the, the the idea of these devils and the emotions that they evoke, if we continue this ex- extrapolation into uh our 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 capitalist selves it it does sort of feel like it's talking about branding yeah um yeah and 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 what uh how what branding you have to convey in order to like the the way that uh, makima talks about uh these like the idea of a chainsaw man or a chainsaw devil is is an interesting brand or an interesting concept that could be powerful Totally. Uh, oh, so the the scene that with power that's so great is she's fighting a cucumber devil, mm-hmm. a sea cucumber devil, so weak looking. I mean, it looks weird, just like the tomato devil looks weird. It's like a bunch of little fingers and like looks like a weird like phallic thing. And she she jumps down on it. She slits her wrist, and when the blood comes out, she forms it into a giant mallet and smashes it. <laughs> It's, like, so fucking badass. The thing about power is, like you said, she just kind of looks like like I, Avril Lavigne. You know, like, early Avril. Avril 1. But she's got, like, these big horns. Not really have anything to do with blood. Just she's a blood devil, so they gave her horns. And it makes part of it where they have to, like... I love in mangas or anything where, like, there's weird shit, but they're, it's, like, very matter-of-fact. Mm. Like, well, she's got big horns, so people are going to know she's uh, a fiend. And a fiend is when a person dies and a devil takes over its body. Plus, she has like she always has like the best kind of expressions that really give off the vibe of kind of what her like deal is too. The crosses, the crosses in her eyes. Yeah, <laughs> she gets the most like manga, like stereotypical like manga expressions, which are like rad. Yeah, but she definitely gets the most of those. To your point about the expressions that this character makes, I feel like she's. I haven't seen her do this exact same face, but like this is like character most likely to ahegao. I don't know what ahegao means. What is that? It's like a, it's sort of like an anime cum face from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Probably. Uh, I'm sure that's in here somewhere. Yeah, Power's big move in this, like her big story that she uh, Daniel's talking about the Bat Devil, is that she convinces Denji. To go with her to kill a devil to get her cat back. Because if if they get her cat back, she will let him touch her boobs. <laughs> and so he's like, okay. a lot of the second half of this first volume. Yeah, like the second half of the first volume is just him. Like, oh, I want to touch her boobs. <laughs> it's not like you see big cleavage. It's just kind of like natural draping over breasts, which yeah. I think is great. I think it's... it's I, I, always, I always judge things like this. When I used to ride the bus all the time before I had a car, I if I could read something on the bus and not be embarrassed, it's good. And this wouldn't embarrass me. <laughs> That's why I always kind of shied away from like Michael Turner stuff. Mm-hmm. I could never read that on the bus. That would be lame. <laughs> the 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 meowy plot, the cat story, kind of falls into uh, uh, again the uh, the things we the the things we do uh, or the things uh, people are forced to do uh for in exchange for um what they want and and the the way uh power is used uh against people um and in this case uh it was uh the love that power had for her for her cat Um, yeah and and how even 
doing uh what uh, the devil or capitalism whatever however we're interpreting this 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 metaphor even even doing what they want does not guarantee you that uh the the, the thing you want will be there on the other side yeah so that's chainsaw man <laughs> chainsaw man <laughs> chainsaw man it's sick read it yes yes um i want to talk a little to you sarah just about more stuff before we go because so i want to talk about your comics and like you know what you got going on um but like also like i said i've always been a big fan of your like uh comics criticism oh, thank you how how did you sort of like start doing that like what was the like because i feel like i i say this for this way like i've always been an opinionated shithead but i'd never thought to write any of my thoughts down because i wasn't very articulate <laughs> so like how did you decide like i'm gonna blog well i mean you gotta think about like the time period that i was coming up i mean First of all, I always wanted to be a writer. So I was, when I went to college, I went for English. And um, so I was always doing a lot of writing with that stuff anyways. And mm-hmm. um, then after I read uh, Watchmen, I wanted to write comics specifically. And um, so I was, you know, kind of in that mode. And I think, um, isn't that most comics critics just want to be comics writers <laughs> <laughs> i guess so but you know what though the difference is like i could think of so many comics critics that don't write about things with a real point of view mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's where i think i always like for instance like your stuff like david uh brothers stuff people who didn't just say here's what happened in this book like you know there's so many podcasts where they would just explain the plot of chainsaw man for like 15 minutes and then they say, yes, we liked it or we didn't like it. And they would like vaguely mention the art. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's like a sort of a dumbass version of comics criticism, which is most of it that like, I think separated you from the rest of it. But I guess that should just be just cause you're you. <laughs> yeah. It, it was something that I always did in, um, like when I was writing papers about like in like English literature and stuff like that, like I would always, um, I never understood, uh, the thing that where people would just like get quotes from somebody else to like say a point that they wanted to make. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be like, what is, you know, so-and-so's opinion on this matter compared to mine? Like, so for me, like, uh, I always wanted, uh, for me, it was always more important for me to like, say my point of view and then also like i always wanted to have a close textual reading like i wanted the basis for what i said i wanted the evidence for it not to be coming from like outside of the text that i'm reading yeah and i think that that's um probably a guidepost that really helped me in terms of like comics criticism and then like uh, becoming an artist as well like that was something that helped me is like being able to sort of like focus in on the like art itself. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I feel like it's the opposite of like how I did it, which is like, I felt the same exact way about art. I remember thinking like I can draw like in these different styles or whatever. And when I found the one I like, I, I remember really quickly what I became known for was like redesigning things hmm. because I, I always thought like, yeah, anybody can draw fucking that costume or whatever. Like what, do, what can I bring to it? That's my different point of view and that's going to make it look cooler than everybody else's, you know? And that was always like something that I tried to do. And, you know, I guess like with the podcast also, like now that I am trying to do, 
now we're thinking more critically about comics. I mean, I'm that I'm committing it to like something that people are going to listen to and digest. I feel like much more responsibility to like have takes that are not like fucking rote. You know what I mean? Not just blow raspberries. Not just say like, I like something or I don't like something or yeah. Well, I think, I think too, as coming from the position of um, like, I was learning comics while I was writing about them. Cause like when I was just interested in becoming a writer, I couldn't draw or anything. Um, So I was just looking at the like writing side. You see a lot of critics um, that are like that now, even um, that are just focused on like, you know, it's like, there's not even art there. Yeah. Um, But when I, I I got to the point where like I had written like comic scripts and stuff, but I hadn't um, because I was, didn't have any money. I couldn't like pay somebody to draw them. So I had to like, figure out how to make art on my own and, initially, and that's how you got into drawing as you were just like yeah oh, i gotta do it somehow that's incredible because you like you know i feel like your art is very good if that's like specifically not like it's good in general but i mean if that's true like you only started drawing like a few years ago that's insane that's like well, a lot of progress well i well i started with um i started i initially was making the comics through uh i made comics through collages uh, mm. i was looking at um uh what's his face uh his name just eludes me the guy who does the covers for uh, sandman isn't it like um, dave mckean yes that's it that's it so i was making these comics with collages for like maybe two years i think and then I got to the point where, like, to make, like, a hand the way I wanted to, I was having to, like, cut off, cut out, like, fingers and the shapes that I wanted <laughs> and, like, put them on the hands. And I was like, you know, I should just learn to draw. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, too complicated. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, then I just uh, started learning how to draw. And I was, I was, like, 29 when I started that. And I'm That's 38 crazy. now. So That's um, crazy. But, and I mean, that was just, and my, my method for doing that was just, um, I was looking at the art and the comics that I liked the most. And then I would just like sort of backwards engineer it and, um, do a lot of studies and stuff and, um, kind of figure out how to draw that way. And, um, I think one of the advantages of me like starting like later than if I had started drawing, like when I was a kid, if I started, started drawing was like when I was a kid, my influences would be like rob liefeld and todd mcfarlane like most people that age um but because i started late the stuff i was reading was like uh sinkevich and like um guido creepax and like european comics and much more sort of like different things and so the sort of soup of what i was looking at was much sort of weirder than what a lot of people were coming from. So it kind of, I think it's kind of um, bought me a certain level of like, um, there's a certain level of forgiveness in my art style Mm. um, because there's not like a, you don't can necessarily look at it and see it as like a failure to depict in a certain way because it's like not like I can't even like necessarily, um, I haven't seen like the way that I want to draw elsewhere. So right. Uh, I think that that kind of helps in terms of it not looking like. Yeah. Uh, there's not like great context for it. Then how can you 
yeah like if do I, it badly like if i was doing like a like super realist style like that's much more like the things where it's off in a style like that are much more sort of readily apparent and much more distracting whereas yeah, yeah. in the style that like i work in it's uh i kind of am more interested in sort of the emotion of like a scene and the kind of texture and i'm more i'm fine with kind of changing the style to fit the emotion of like a panel or something yeah and um so i think that sort of has allowed me to kind of like grow while still putting out stuff that's kind of some people find interesting to look at Mm. yeah Um, i i think that's true kind of get their growing get their growing pains that way yeah I think manga is extremely uh, conductive to that. Yeah. Um, how has how has uh, I guess uh, this shift towards manga in your work like influenced your process? Um, it's yeah, it's been interesting because I think it because I mean it's kind of correlated with my move into doing black and white comics because before um, before all my stuff was in color, and um, so once I started doing that. I thought that it looked a lot better in black and white than in color because you, I found that if I um, colored my art the way that it was, I would, I lose a lot of the, or I distract from a lot of the strengths in terms of like uh, the way that my line kind of moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got much more into sort of black and white art by virtue of doing that and more sort of like, it's more sort of, maybe more it's more sort of minimalist than what i was doing before which was very had a lot what i was doing before had a lot sort of heavier inks and more um sort of i don't know it was more european and if you're like looking to accentuate like the things you're good at and do away with things you're bad at like just going to more streamlines like stuff you're gonna do that by just eliminating color because like learning color is like a whole other thing on top of learning how to draw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard to just like pile up everything at once. Well, that that was the weird thing because I started out with um, doing collage comics. Like the the things that I was strongest at were uh, composition and then um, color mm. and texture because those are the three things that I could manipulate most when I'm when I was making the collages. Um, and I think that that kind of influenced um, my earlier work in color and stuff. So, like, when you look at it, it's very um, – has a lot – there's a lot going on. It's a lot of, like, visual information. I basically was using color – I mean, I have stuff that's where it's, like, very – I just use, like, very contrasting, like, flats. But I also have stuff that's very, like, um, using, like, the color as, like, extra lines and stuff instead of using like a black and not and doing that kind of like digitally over like analog art. Yeah. I remember before, like just going back again a bit when I, before and I told you this, like when I found out that you were making comics, like drawing them, I went in going like, all right, let's see what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, I've been spending all my time learning how to draw them. And I just feel like I'm still like now, like very not at the level that I want to be at. Right. So at then I was, do it. Is that ever happened? Do people get to the level they want to be at? Cause I hope, I hope so. No, but I'm... I, I, I'm always satisfied with my art. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what anybody else's problem. Is. 
I told you my boy Dragata is a genius and he is not satisfied ever. Every time I visit him, he's like, I don't know. It's not there yet. I'm not into it. I don't know if anyone ever likes their own art style, though. I always see everyone else's work and that looks so much more interesting and amazing than my own. Yeah, I think it's because it's because of your eyes, because like when you uh, look at your own work, like, yeah, all you can see is the things you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. So your your eyes are always ahead of your skills. So like right. usually that's that's how I try to comfort myself when I'm not happy with my art. Is I yeah. like oh I I must be in a period of great growth because I really hate <laughs> what I'm drawing. Every time you hate it, you know that you're about to get like next level. Yeah, and if you hate it a lot, that's you're really about to get next level. But yeah, <laughs> I remember when I saw you. I mean, look, I spent like at least two years depressed, and every time I got on the other end, I was like. Holy shit, I'm better. (laughs) There was another like critic that I remember the same way, like this dude, Matt Seneca, who Mm. I thought was like really great. Like he wrote awesome shit. And I remember he posted a comic and I was like, all right, let's check it out. And it was like, to me, the time I was like, this looks like a child did it. This looks so bad. But clearly the guy's like mind is like operating at a high level about criticism. So I was like, all right, fuck. Like, you know, I thought less of his art, but then recently i saw his art again i saw a new comic that he put out and i was like this is fucking sick like this is so good so like you know i i had learned like just don't write people off that way <laughs> isn't it isn't it so scary though like how people just keep improving like you think like uh at some point you're gonna like catch up to such and such artists and then they like it's like they pull out a new like skill or something it's like a shonen thing yeah yeah well like my buddy like my buddy daniel like like i said when i met him he was really good and like he was working he was just doing like some dark horse stuff. I think he was he he was working on Space Mullet and he put in work on Space Mullet. Yeah, I well, yeah, I remember like his early work compared to now. And then like, I remember seeing him the next year at that same convention. He was a superstar. He was so fucking good. And he just took a leap and he's like he's one of like the most kindest, humblest dude I know, but he's actually a dude who I think does like his art, which is even more (laughs) infuriating. He's like in a manga, like there's a rival character who's like knows how good they are. We were hanging out and I was working on a page and I spent all fucking day inking. And it was like, I'm not even done yet. I don't even like it that much. And this motherfucker in that time had like done a two page spread of like a fucking from murder Falcon, which this comic chainsaw man reminded me a lot of that. Cause it was like very earnest, but with like big crazy shit happening all the time. Hmm. But I remember read like looking at the page and being like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like how, how are you this good, this fast? And then like this, you know, kind about, you know, he sat me down and was just like, Ramon, there's something about your art I don't like. Could I tell you? Would that be okay? I'm like, dude, yeah, tell me. <laughs> because, like, the thing is, what he ended up telling me was something I knew sucked. Yeah. But I needed, you know, him sitting down and just saying, like, he wanted, like, I have an intervention about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. Well, one thing I will say about Chainsaw Man, because I still have that's this very, thing up, very beautiful. is I hate the shoes in it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really bad. I'm, I'm looking at the cover for the second issue, and I was thinking that at like while we were talking. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just my own point of view. That's my own shoe centric point of view. Is I was just like, nah, he ain't yeah, doing guy, it. He's definitely not like a shoe person. Yeah, it's a lot of like what I see when people want to draw like cool shoes in American comics, where they just do like high tops from like the fucking 80s that look terrible now. 
I think uh, the newest uh, the newest uh, aorta issue I did um, the uh, what are they called the Sean Kemp's like kamikazes from the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah. I have one of the characters wearing those because I loved those shoes like as, as a kid. Those shoes are like kind of cool now, like um, but like a lot of companies are putting them back out, but they're not like really hitting that way. The like early early 80s stuff is kind of or like late 80s stuff like the jordan one around that time there's some adidas from that time that's all the stuff that's kind of popular right now like adidas top tens but have you seen that artist um from chile uh chrysalis Mm -mm. that does like the really rad like uh illustration and she always uses like really cool shoes no i'll have to show you like give you her like twitter thing probably like it yeah yeah send that over um but yeah no like the uh the critic to artist pipeline i encourage more of that and i always feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of critics that or like people that want to write comics that just say like i can't do it like no you can just do it (laughs) like i've had friends that were like "I, i just can't draw i'm like just try just give it a shot even if you know it's gonna suck like who cares who's gonna see it just for your own edification if you like visual storytelling just do it and then you know i I also think more artists should um do criticism like whether it's a podcast or whether it's writing it because it's um i know a lot of people in can be kind of afraid to talk about uh work publicly but i think that it like definitely kind of helps you kind of see and like come up with like interesting things and can kind of like help your like narrative skills as well and if you're like me and you just want to say somebody sucks, just say, and peace and love afterwards, and it's all good. <laughs> People will be, take that at the spirit it's given. You're like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's, it's really sucks. <laughs> yes. Well, like, you know, in the case of, like, um, a dude like Sean Gordon Murphy, whose art is just so fucking ugly to me, is just, like, very hateful. Is um, that the Jesus punk guy? Yeah, it's the Jesus punk guy. Or, like, there's a dude named Patrick Zercher whose stuff is very, like, it just looks like he yeah. just got it out of Poser, like, straight up. Just like it's posers, a program where you can get like a little figure and like pose it in a certain way, light it in a certain way. So artists will do that and then draw over it. And you could always tell because the face looks the same as like the digital model. They are posers. <laughs> but you know what? It's with peace and love artists that I say that. that I don't art like your art. Posers. And with Gordon Murphy, it's more like what I don't like about his art is it's all yeah. aesthetics, uh, but the aesthetics are bad. So, like, I don't care if the aesthetics are good, right? Like, But the thing is, like, he has a corny personality and a corny taste. So I feel like... Corny corny is a very charitable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's played out, to say the least. Um, but I, I follow him on Twitter for two reasons. One is because I only like his art, like, when it's, like, in close-up uh, and still at the inking stage. Yeah. Well, he's not uh, so... on Twitter anymore. He left because he said he was too big for it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the other reason is because he's an idiot he he left because too many of his, his like too much of his audience was toxic and like it, it in instagram he could like keep that to a I missed a, his... a minimum or like keep the spread of that toxicity to a minimum oh he yeah. was he was openly wanting to like flirt with like comics gate and then didn't want yeah. repercussions for doing that yeah he was a dude who was i think trying to wrangle so many different things where like he made friends with like mags Visat. yeah he like made friends with her and was just like it was a whole thing where he would just be like oh my best friend mags and like he <laughs> 
he was doing stuff where like he was strategically trying to like make inroads to like every different thing just for the just for money yeah like yeah. just i'll embrace comics gate and mags and these people and these people because in his head he thought i'm a super genius but with peace <laughs> and love you're a dumbass He's gonna get everyone's money <laughs> with peace and love you're a fucking idiot and see <laughs> i could i'm saying that with full peace and love it's all love it's no hate it's all it's all no hate it's all respect it's all beautiful but you're a fucking idiot I think I think that comes across in his art as well. Like you said, it is all just kind of aesthetic. My favorite was he had an interview when he was coming out with White Knight, which is like dumbest books, title. Dumbest title. But he was like, I got a singular vision of Batman. And the singular vision was mixing the animated cartoon with the old movie. <laughs> it's like, bro, that is not your own yeah. unique idea. That is two other people's ideas that you've mashed together. His singular vision is drawing that classic movie Batmobile. (laughs) That's that's his entire uh, ideology uh, for White Knight. Yeah, no, but he was always, like, even from the punk rock Jesus days, it was always, like, this sort of, like, new atheist reactionary edginess. Yeah, but, like, founded in, like, just that he, like, very shallow understanding of it. Because I remember when that came out. And he asked people on Twitter, like, hey, I'm starting Punk Rock Jesus. What are some good punk bands? And it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, he's not respected among uh, punk anyone. people. You know, I, I, anyone, really. <laughs> people, Some people like his art. I, I feel like, you know, with Peace and Love, if you like his art, God bless. But <laughs> I like, love, I, I, I keep thinking of wanting to have been in the room when... Uh, Grant Morrison started getting the Joe the Barbarian pages, and <laughs> Sean Murphy just filled it with like '80s nostalgia garbage. But but I think that was part of that story. So I'm not even no no. Apparently, like from what I read, uh, uh, Grant Morrison the toys were like much more like generic toys. Oh, I see. Um, like the classical sense of toys, like uh, like oh, the, um, like a. like a nutcracker or like a little robot or a teddy bear tin soldier like toy story yes instead he went like exactly what if it was batman and captain picard (laughs) it's like yeah what if it was (laughs) just fucking just like the the most uh soy face it's awesome yeah he was trying to make ready player one exactly (laughs) yes and and I I just wish I could have been there with Grant Morrison at that moment when they were when they were like what the fuck is this what the fuck is what, what, what's Optimus Prime doing here <laughs> yeah listen you still can't get their accent down you should just stop trying <laughs> <laughs> it's almost it's almost kind of there a little bit a little bit of Glaswegian uh, not even a little bit. That's. <laughs> um, I'm from. I'm from another another place. No, like with peace and love. If you like, <laughs> if you like, fantasize about beating a wife you don't have, wear fingerless gloves and suspenders. Then you're a Sean Gordon Murphy fan, and it's all it's all beautiful. Like keep doing your thing. I hope one day you live your goals, but it's not. Wish you, know, you the best. If if you just like the act of pumping gas, that's really sick. But I don't do that. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> If if you spent if you spent your days in high school drawing the side of a car, <laughs> <laughs> if you think like if you think having style is owning a pair of Converse shoes that you bought from like Target, it's kind of weak. <laughs> but anyways, fuck Sean Gordon Murphy with peace this and love. This was a little bit of a tangent with on, peace and on love. artists and yeah. styles, but yeah, it's yeah. all it's all peace. It's all peace. It's all love. <laughs> it's all respect. It's all beautiful things. But 
uh sarah i i think i don't want to take up too much of your time so uh i feel like we should start wrapping up also i don't want to edit another three-hour podcast <laughs> you're but, getting close uh, <laughs> i know but uh where can people find you online um on twitter pretty much everything is on mercurial blonde um my twitter's that uh, instagram's that uh, I have a website, uh, squarespace.mercurialblonde.com, um, that has links to everything. Um, if you find kind of any of those portals, they kind of link to each other because it's, you know, 2021. And uh, I have Patreon, um, which you can find a link to in that as well. Um, and uh, do I have anything else? Uh, I think that's um all i mean i have oh and i obviously have uh the next issue of aorta which is my uh mech comic thing um it's coming out uh march 11th i think is what i awesome. figured basically wait basically waiting for it to come back from the printers that's so sick yeah i know we had waited for that to be done before you came on just so <laughs> that we could uh, say like you can get it on this date but like if, if that was an indication of how my 2020 went like it was just like yeah well, no, it was cool. Like, I like I like the uh, continual check in. Say, hey, Sarah, how's it going? How's the book going? You ready? <laughs> like, can, we, you... can we try next month? <laughs> I mean, look, I'm all about it. We did that with this podcast, also. <laughs> it was a lot of. Hey, you want to try next week? We try recording, or <laughs> yeah, there there was there was one moment where we just had to like push the button. I feel like uh, we were like waiting on a name. That was the thing. And then Daniel said Mex Flintayo, and I was like, let's go! Record tomorrow! <laughs> it's done. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it. I feel like we're all just on, like, Twitter. Like, it's just, it's sort of like the hub space where we're all kind of, like, working from, sort of, like, m- maybe not you so much from but... Oh, people ask me, like, oh, do you need my email for the show? And I'm like, no, I only operate on Twitter. I'm the easiest yeah, place to get me is on Twitter. I've had, like people who need to talk to me in real life that have my phone number that just like reach out to me in a dm and they're like hey are you are you around I'm like oh yeah what's up <laughs> like because i don't even check my phone half the time i'm working i mean i mean i mean i wish it wasn't that way sometimes but yeah it's pretty much just that way <laughs> yeah um daniel where can they find you guess twitter yeah <laughs> uh twitter instagram daniel Rosari. it's my name uh with an I at the end, not your desire with a Y. Uh, you can Google it, and it's not the other guy. Neither, neither of you have gotten TikToks. I, no, I have no a TikTok yet. just to look at my nephew's TikToks. And honestly, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a supportive uncle. I, I just, well, just want to <laughs> see what he's up to. The thing is, like, I, <laughs> I am a keen observer of trends. I want to know what's in the culture. I want to know what's going on, and. My nephew told me he was on TikTok and, well, I was, sorry, I was harassing him, asking him if he was on TikTok. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it's like, all right, let me see your TikTok name. So then I'll like sometimes go in there, drop him a like, but I will also just like look at what influencers are doing to see like what music people are listening to and like, you know, that kind of stuff and look at what clothes people are wearing. I feel like, you know, I have things that I want to do and I just was like, oh, TikToker fashion. You know, like, that's the thing. Like, one of the characters in my fantasy book, I just kind of based his clothes on, like, an e-boy. So I was like, oh, that would be cool, like, an e-boy in the, you know, medieval era. But, um, yeah, no, like, 
I'm not on, I'm not, I did never made a TikTok video, but I always think about it. I'm always thinking about what I'm trying we can to figure out. For... Like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out like how you can do like comics related stuff on that. I guess maybe yeah. if you're like, I, yeah, I have no idea if you read it or something. I'm sure somebody's, there's people on there doing some sort of comics criticism or something. The thing is, I'm just getting around to figuring out how to do a podcast. (laughs) We're like six years late already on on the podcast thing. Like, I haven't even figured out really how to, like, record myself drawing at this point, unless I'm, like, holding my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do live streams on, like, IG Live and uh, what was the one that was, like, a... Fuck, what was it called? Periscope? Periscope. I did Periscope. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And... It was uh it was it was good, like it was fine, but it was a lot of me just like talking to myself and I was like, eh, it's kinda lame. You could do it you should you could do a Twitch stream. That's I actually the Hell Yeah Babies are having a Twitch stream right now that I'm on every once in a while. And I've been That's on what, that. um Jim Jim Lee does that, right? He does like Jim Lee Twitch. does a Twitch stream, yeah. YouTube. And my friend uh Sue Lee, who we might have on the show soon, um her and like her other art collective, like um Adam Gorham, Tyler Boss, Gavin Smith, uh, Craig Cermak, and Tom the Mad Dog Riley. They, they'll do like a weekly stream. Uh, all of them like will draw a prompt. And I've been on their stream like a couple times. And I'll usually uh, annoy them in the comments on Friday nights. But uh, yeah, no, the Hell Yeah Babies, by the way, they have a monthly charity stream. And they're coming on the show also because they, we're going to do... Uh, they're going to promote their new song that's going to be the new outro to this show when oh. once it comes out that I'm doing the cover art for the single. Cool. That That is exciting. Although I love our outro. <laughs> I love their outro, True. Did you hear the new, the one that I put on the, the Mex Flantayo Supreme? Oh, wait. No, I haven't finished that episode. Oh, there's a different song for, this, for the outro for the Supreme episode. Oh, my god. It's also Hell Yeah Babies, but it's just a different Hell Yeah Babies song. No, like, and I go on their stream and I we try to promote this show and other shit but on their stream it's like so bizarre like they have their own little world going where it's like a continuity that they write every month it's like a sitcom and one month i did it they sent me to the future so like now in that in the world of that show i'm living in 2099 and i'm just like i'm a version of me that only listens to new metal and uh, <laughs> i i paint myself up in the crow face paint and i wear like bandanas because it's like a post-apocalyptic future because i went to woodstock 2099 and i've been <laughs> and i've been thriving out here just living like an influencer lifestyle it's pretty good <laughs> i feel i feel like uh, if all we get is a post-op post-apocalyptic future by 2099 then we'll have done really well <laughs> yeah it's not completely not <laughs> it's fucking the optimistic gone. view i feel like if we get it after 20 once biden's term over i feel like we're on the, <laughs> we're yeah. on the <laughs> Well, I said to, I said today on on Twitter I think we just have to uh, we're gonna have to just kind of like try to enjoy these four years because uh, after they're over we're just gonna be run by QAnon just straight QAnon like yeah like Marjorie Taylor Green like shitheads yeah that fucking we're gonna we're gonna do the Roaring Twenties baby she'll, she'll be the Supreme Court justice that replaces like Kagan or something she'll be like three Supreme Court justices <laughs> she'll be like some sort of weird hybrid devil version like in the fucking comic where she's got like Supreme Court hostile takeover it's like her and her two like bodybuilder boyfriends that she's fucking on the side and like <laughs> the Sangeef one 
They comprise what, three justices on the Supreme Court, and yeah, it's gonna be absolute an absolute nightmare. You know, like that fucking that fucking dumb bitch. Um, <laughs> did you see this thing that she put up outside of her office? Like, I almost I almost called it turf, but it's not even turf. It's just straight up like dumb anti-trans like fucking bullshit because the person on the office on the other side of the hall uh has a trans daughter so she's like i i'm gonna one up you i'm gonna put hate fucking shit outside your like i don't even know like what do you even do with people like that's stuff that you couldn't get away with at your place of work but is okay in congress like carrying a gun into into your like place of business would generally be frowned upon but in congress you know you just pay a little fine and this is like this is the modern like Republican Party. I, I was watching some of the CPAC stuff, and now it's just like a race to who can be the biggest clown, so that they could run for the. You had Ted Cruz there with like the goofiest haircut you've ever seen, laughing about the idea that while people literally froze to death in his home state, he was like hanging out in Cancun yeah, on vacation. That was, crazy. that was crazy, and that's considered like uh, playing to the base. It should have been, it should have been shameless. Like he should have, he should be ousted after that. And instead it's like a laugh line and people like him more for it. It's, it's absolutely, yeah, well enough. it's like, it used to be that cruelty was sort of the, the end point. Now it's like cruelty is the selling point up front. And it just like, and when you have the opposition, like the other thing that you said, which is just like, you we've given up all hope for the Biden administration to do anything good. Like you had a great tweet about that. After a month. After a month. It haven't even been a full month yet, and they've caved on $15 minimum wage. They've caved on, you know, immigration policy. They've caved on literally everything. They're already bombing places. <laughs> already bombing places. And it's unfair to say they've caved, because it was never like they really wanted it. Like, we've talked about on this show, when they, when they were getting this, when they started talking about the shit. They, it was with a thing of like, we don't really mean it. And now all we have left is we have to argue with people that still have fucking I'm with her in their bio because there are freaks on the, uh, like, you know, not on the left, but like centrists that are like, Oh, like you don't get it. Like it's, (laughs) it's actually fine that he's bombing people. Cause I, it's like, he's doing it in a way where I can sleep at night because he's not tweeting about it. It's much better to have immigrant detention centers <laughs> under Biden. I got I got told to go fuck myself by that horse whisperer account uh, yesterday. Oh, that's an a, that's honor. an accomplishment. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's a flex. Ostensibly because I it was because that um you know how they're all flipping out about that um uh, reporter for the Washington Post that asked Murkowski yeah. about the tweet by Nira Tandon. Oh yeah. yeah, they're going hard against her right yeah. now. When we should be stopping Asian hate, and they're yeah. all like saying crazy racist shit to her. I was I I well, so I told them that they were you know misleading people about what was actually going on in terms of like journalism, and that they were leading like a hate mob at this point, and um, they didn't react well to me saying that. Obviously, yeah. And so in, in addition to like the the you know one woman that they're attacking then they decided it was okay to attack me as well and um yeah we're just uh you know blue maga is definitely a real thing at this point yes yeah and what's amazing the is they thing it's like blue maga is a thing and they all think that like we are the maga part because yeah. we're, we're we are maga because we have principles that we actually believe in and they no. are not maga because they're able to see 
that Paul like that they, that they see that politics is bullshit. So you might as well like play the game. Like they're playing four dimensional chess. What was that line that um, uh, it was Kath Barbadero tweeted about like um, modern democratic policy is something like uh, uh, the imprisons like learning to enjoy their trap or something like that. I can't, I can't mm. remember the exact wording at this point. Um, if someone else talking, I'll find that thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, while you look for that uh, in and related to this subject, um on the other side dealing with um uh, conservatives right now is also like uh, like uh, seeing someone who is gaslighting themselves in a completely different way on facebook uh just yesterday i shared a uh it was a meme but it was like this the hypocrisy of of liberals uh being upset at the kids in cages hmm. and as soon as it's under biden and it's labeled an immigrant detention center like liberals are just like yay this is so progressive right yeah and so my uh red-pilled maga cousin <laughs> uh has to come in and into the comments and be like this is exactly what I've been saying for the past four years. And I'm like, <laughs> no, motherfucker, you have been celebrating yeah. all of Trump's immigration policies. You have been using uh, you had been using Obama's uh, poor handling of, of this situation as an excuse to allow Trump to do this shit. We are not the same here in this in yeah. this criticism of the Biden administration. I've had similar arguments with family members who feel like because because now I'm critical now of things Democrats do. I'm on their side. It's like you know I'm not on your side. Mm-hmm. I actually am a human. <laughs> I'm not. A, <laughs> I'm not a fucking weird mutant freak. So don't consider us the same. But thank you. It's I, not, I'm glad we agree that Biden sucks. Can we agree that Trump sucks? It's the thing is it's not sports. Like people act like these are teams yeah. that they have to be loyal to, and it's just like no Absolutely. normal person aligns 100 percent ideologically with a political party they all everyone has like different things that they think on depending on the issue right. but because like I have a, oh, yeah, sorry, but because but because everyone's like being like pulled pulled into these parties they're accepting ideas about things that they don't actually agree with just because it goes with their team yeah like i have a friend tony gregory who's a listener of the show shout out tony gregory oh, i know him um you know, and he's Shut a up. fan of the Miami Heat, and they're a miserable team this year. But he's trying to convince me that they're not a miserable team because I, they hey, went to, hey, hey, hey. because I'm they also went to the a fan of the because Miami. they went to the finals last year. And I said that was fraudulent. They're fraudulent now. The Warriors are a real team. They have real culture. Heat culture is a lie. Wow. <laughs> I know you're a Miami Heat fan. Mm. I was just trolling. You're just you're. How can you do that after after what Jimmy Buckets gave us during that uh, lockdown thing? That was like one of the best uh, like experiences we've gotten in basketball in like I don't know in a long time. Him him dragging dragging the Heat uh, just through like almost memes. No, I love I love I love the Miami Heat. I love Ty- I mean I d- no, sorry not Tyler Hero. He's a fraud. I love Jimmy Buckets. <laughs> I love Bam Adebayo. I saw him in person. Yeah. I went to a ba- I went to my first NBA game right before uh, coronavirus, and I was like planning to go to another one. 
and then everything shut down and I was like, Oh, well, never mind. But I saw Bam Adebayo in person and it was a spectacle. I was like, this guy is a freak. This guy's a legend. It's crazy how like when you watch it in person, like how do all these people fit on the same court? Whereas when you see it on TV, like there's like more it's space. Like, how do they fit and how are they so fast and strong? Yeah. And like, yeah, not murder each other when they run into one another. <laughs> like yeah. you see a foul on TV and you're just like, fake, whatever. You see a foul in real life and you're like, how are they not dead? That would kill me. <laughs> oh, I, I found I found the quote I was talking about. Awesome. Um, Democratic talking points are the voice of the trapped that have come to enjoy their cage. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's beautiful. accurate. That's a good, that's a good, uh, a good thing to end on. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could follow us at Flintayo on Twitter. Follow me at Ramon Villalobos, whatever. But our Patreon is patreon.com slash MexFlintayo. On there, we're doing now bonus episodes that the we... official premium up. Premium's <laughs> official. And we're, we're now talking about every time we do a lot of work on one, like we just did this first one, that we're probably going to unlock it in like one or two weeks. We'll figure out the right time. But we don't want it to be every episode uh, because some of those are going to be like intentionally a little spicier. Still, yeah. pe- it's still peace and love, but there might be some drama that we got to talk some about. Stuff might have to stay in the vault. There might be stuff that we can't release to the mainstream, but behind a paywall, it's all good. <laughs> I have I, I have a tier like that on my Patreon. It's just my talking tier. Yeah, we love. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But this this particular episode uh, that we did is so good that we think that the the public the the public at large should enjoy it at some point. Yeah, so I, we're go- we'll probably put it up maybe next week or the week after. But we for now it's going to be behind the Patreon. Uh, so you're you know if you're a completist if you're itching to scratch the itch, you could join our Patreon. There is no tier. It's that whatever you can give. Uh, to to Ramon's completionist point, uh, this right now this is Max Flintayo episode eighteen. If you want episode seventeen, yeah, that's Flintayo Supreme. But you know, <laughs> you know, I thought at first about not doing it at all, and you know, we've gotten a lot of support, so it feels good. So I'm not gonna lie and say that don't donate, but you know, we'll, whatever you can is great. And you know, like I said, we've had somebody. Who I thought they intentionally donated 70, 78 cents. I found out that's Canadian one one do, Canadian dollar. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But I was like, shout out either way. Like if you yeah. give you seventy five cents, like it's all love, anyways. It's all love. Uh, so you know, take it away. Hell yeah, babies.